Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. Vile protest uh, yesterday outside the Tornish Home makes many of the papers, in fact, it makes quite a lot of the front pages of the Red Tops because there was all sorts of, of all sorts of offensive abuse uh, hurled about uh, Leo Varadkar and he said it was sickening to watch and sickening to listen to. That's why the Mirror has a front page this morning saying mob targets Varadkar, vile protest at Leo's home. Uh, meanwhile, more and more people today, ta-da, are going back to work for the first time. So the office politics returns for tens of thousands who've had to deal with the office politics and the gossip and the bit of scandal by Zoom or by text. Uh, so back you go. But mind you, it doesn't mean that the days of remote mer- working are gone. In fact, quite the opposite. Many in government want remote working to work as often as possible. And Leo is a big fan of it. He wants it to be a permanent fixture. But for many, after like 18 months away from work, they should be heading back today for the first time. So I suppose uh, there'd be some trepidation. It's like first day at primary school for some or back after the summer holidays, you know, those kind of things. Or maybe that multiplied by a million. But 18 months today, many going back for the first time. And a lot of other changes today, incidentally. Small little ones, but significant to those that are involved with them. Like indoor exercise classes and bands and bowling alleys and amusement arcades. And I see them setting up the circus out here in Curraheen. Looks good. The big top tent going up and everything. Uh, other people who play chess or bridge or other indoor activities can all get chessing. Or bridging again, for want of a better term. <laughs> Restrictions and outdoor group activities also removed. So the next big one now, October 22nd, when yet more will be chipped away. Not everything, but a little bit more chipped away, October 22nd. And uh, you know, They want, according to the examiner today, uh, a one-off bonus to thank COVID workers. And that's great until you sit down and you start thinking it through. Perhaps you might like to think it it through with me. Text 0868104106. What's a COVID worker? Where do you draw the line with regards to a financial bonus to COVID workers? Does it only happen within the uh, perimeters of a hospital, for instance? Is that only where you would deem COVID workers to be? Would you include guardian in there? Would you include prison officers? Would you include supermarket staff who worked so, so hard all the way through the pandemic, put their own health on the line, took an awful lot of people? Would you not give them a bonus? Um, what about delivery drivers? What about freight drivers? What about taxi drivers, many of whom worked and did essential work? So where do you draw the line? Text 0868104106. This one-off bonus. Uh, it's very interesting. I was also sent the video footage of the weekend of Joe McCarran. He may mean nothing to you, but if you saw the, vi- the video footage of the gentleman uh, who clearly looks very distressed and is finding it very, very difficult to breathe. He's the gentleman in the in the pink um, T-shirt. Uh, he was being removed from hospital uh, by so-called pals who were rescuing him from ICU. And he clearly looked very confused and frightened and very ill. He's back in hospital again. He was rushed back to hospital by ambulance on Thursday morning. And doctors are now really, really battling to keep him alive. So the family of that man 
um, have uh, slammed those who took him out of the facility in the first place. It was carried out by people who claim to be acting on behalf of the patient under common law. Meanwhile, you have the first jab, the second jab, and now you have the booster. And for many people, it'll be a jab in both arms. Not the booster in both arms, no. It will be the booster in one and the flu jab in the other. So that's what you can expect next. And if you want proof of it, in the mail this morning, Joan Collins at the age of 88 says, Diamonds, darling, may be forever, but the vaccine is a lifesaver. And there she is with um, <laughs> two medics. One at each arm. PRSI is a big target. There will be many targets now because what the government need is a smash and grab campaign to get more money out of everybody to pay back the huge debt. So they'll find loads of different ways of doing that. And I was telling you some of them last week. PRSI and increases there is on the agenda and it makes the front page of the mail today. What won't work, they're saying, and there's no point even looking at it, is any kind of a vacant home tax. It won't solve the housing crisis. Sinn Féin must be freaking over that because they want to tax anybody who's got a house left open, left empty. And they're right too, because if it's vacant, you're not using it, you should be penalised for it. But it's, it's, um, it's, it's like if you would think that the old adage of looking after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves would be one way of running a government who's in trouble financially. And yet they're saying, ah, it won't solve the housing crisis. Yeah, lads, but it might bring in just a little bit of money that might go somewhere to help. Another couple of ways of doing it is, you may not have known this, but the likes of Bertie Hearn and Enda Kenny still have quite an amount of services provided for them as ex-Tishig. And amongst them, I know they have drivers and I know they have uh, you know security escorts and stuff like that as ex-Tishig and things. But they also have sectarial services provided. And the sectarial services provided to Bertie Hearn and Enda Kenny could run to as much as 300,000 a year. I don't even know what the secretarial services involve. And another one that made the papers yesterday, actually, um, is one to do with Catherine Zappone, who was a former children's minister at the time. Well, by all accounts, uh, the uh, Sunday Times yesterday said she took a business class flight to Dublin from New York. She left her private secretary in economy class and she flew business class. It was one of three trips she made, a special envoy to Ireland's campaign to win a seat in the UN Security Council. So this is back when she was, um, uh, you know, um, former children's uh, minister. Um, This was in 2019. She was clearly told by the Department of Foreign Affairs that they would only pay for economy. Uh, Yet she flew business class and then the Department of Children had to divvy up the difference of €2,877. That was the difference between the two flights. And there is nothing available to the Sunday Times to suggest that Catherine Zappone ever reimbursed the difference. So that's the kind of way you could save some money if you just didn't tolerate that. Well, it'd be better if politicians didn't do it in the first place. We'll come back this morning to stories that make things like the front of the echo where they talk about knife crime in Cork and knife seizures tripling. Uh, a tripling in the number of knife seizures in Cork between 2016 and 2020. There's a lot of other issues involving criminality gone up on lease sides besides uh, a seizing of, of, of knives. And unfortunately, death is never too far away. You know, the mam and son killed in the double murder suicide uh, down in North Kerry. Well, they will be buried today in Lixnaw, Eileen and Jamie O'Sullivan. And the tabloids talk of that when nearly nine out of ten Irish women feel uncomfortable on their own or out alone or walking alone or being out after dark. It's an interesting story when you talk about after dark because I don't know how many of you have ever gone ghost hunting. Um, you know, gone out with groups in the paranormal 
to um, I remember Fiona Donovan did it Brenda might have done it for me some time back where they went out with paranormal groups and just hung out in haunted houses or castles supposed to be great fun if you can handle the spookiness of it but there's one that makes the papers today from an 18th century house in Mayo called Moore Hall built in 1792 it is said to be haunted because apparently it was built on a druid's site and apparently it was cursed but forgive me, but they have photographs in the paranormal group in the paper this morning where you're supposed to be able to see three ghostly figures. <laughs> like, I can't see anything. I never can. Like, I can always just see shadows or what looks like pile of building rubble or something. But they're supposed to look like ghosts. And I love this one, which I'll come back to later on, with regards to the amount of uh, millennials who have never heard of traditional dishes. Now, it's an English story. So if there was an Irish equivalent to it, it might be like tripe and drusheen, you know, or coddle or stuff like that. But in the UK, it's bangers and mash, toad in the hole and spotted dick. Um, these are the types of food that millennials in the UK have either never heard of or they think they were made up. I'll come back to it a little later on because there's another food-related story where it will soon be illegal in the UK to keep tips meant for staff. And that's important because we dealt with that on the air last week. It will be a crime and restaurants will be banned from keeping tips meant for staff under legislation expected to be announced this week and not before time because it's very, very unfair. Uh, there's a lot of other kind of quirky stories that I will come back to. Um, one is a lotto story from Beaufort and County Kerry. The jackpot was 17 million. This fella had five of the six numbers. Am I right? Is it six numbers? And he had five of them. Um, so instead of scooping 17 million, he scooped 257,723. And they still say that he had a lot to celebrate. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, thanks very much, all the same, for the 257. But honest to God, uh, I'll pass on the celebrations. You're telling me one more number would have got me like 17 million? Come on. I'd be crying, not celebrating. The Neil Prenderville Show. Ah, sure, who wouldn't be crying? The death announced yesterday of uh, John Chalice at the age of 79. You know what? He was only supposed to be in the in one scene in the very first episode of the very first Fools and Horses, which aired 40 years ago this weekend. And on the 40th anniversary weekend of his first appearance in Only Fools and Horses, he departs the planet. Um, and everybody is so, so sad at his passing. Now, of course, I am talking about Boise, who played the second-hand car dealer, Boise, uh, from the first series, the first episode, to the very final Christmas special in 2003. And he died peacefully in his sleep. Um, and, of course, we all know him from the Nags Head. Uh, we all know him from the Cigar. We all know him from the Cognac in Hand. We all know him because he was always there with Marlene, probably said a much better Cockney accent than me. Uh, but um, we miss him and we reminisce him. And I got some audio bits on the great Boise after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. All right, sorry about that. Our frozen screen is fixed now. So I was talking about John Chalice, who played Boise for all those years. We just It's very hard to find clips of Boise that work without the visuals, you know, because they are so visual and only Fools and Horses was and is. And it's still there on television, still running. You can still see it over and over and over again with the great David J. 
Jason. Uh, but anyway, we did manage to find one or two, or at least, uh, in fairness, Mark Willington did. Do you remember Dell and Rodney um, with the episode with Batman and Robin? Uh, they think that they're going to a fancy dress party, but they're actually going to a wake instead. Uh, and Boise's there before them. So in they come, right? And Boise can't resist setting them up for a massive fall. Come on, then where is everyone? Straight through there. Kate's <laughs> crusader. You are going to be nothing dressed like that. Did <laughs> <laughs> you see that, brothers? Look, we have come as Batman and Robin. <laughs> Boise's come as the Penguin. <laughs> oh, no, Del Boy. Not the Penguin. More like the Joker. <laughs> Good innings, and uh, he'd have been well chuffed to see all his family and friends turn up for his wake like this. <laughs> Derek, hmm? Harry died yesterday. Why didn't you tell us that out there instead of letting us come in here like, like that? Yeah, I mean, we was going. Completely slipped my mind. Strange what grief can do. (laughs) (laughs) And the laugh is just something else, isn't it? I mean, only fools and horses. John Sullivan's dad was born and reared uh, on on Barrick Street, or just off Barrick Street, and an awful lot of his humour, of course, found its roots and I suppose the inception here in, in Cork. And in fact, uh, you, you probably are aware of it, but the chandelier sketch was actually something that John Sullivan's dad told him uh, from a story that he heard of two characters who went down to a big old manor house down in West Cork. And that happened when they went to clean the chandeliers down there. But maybe I'm slightly off. Let's get back to the late John Chalice and uh, his part as Boise. Just one more. I mean, I could sit here all morning playing for you, playing him for you. Uh, but he was, anyway, there's Boise on the phone to death. Right, so Boise is on the phone to Dell, and Dell is threatening to reveal a secret to Boise's wife Marlene. Well, you do me the favour of proposing me, and I'll do one for you. And what might that be? I won't tell Marlene about that little bird in Sheffield. <laughs> you wouldn't try me. No, 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 Del, no. You may be many things, but you are not a grass. I don't think we've got anything else to say to each other. Bye for now. Don't put that phone down. I want to talk to him about Albert's birthday. Del, what do you think he'd like for a present? Yeah, I do know that he does like a bit of fishing, right? And he was talking about getting himself a proper angler's knife. But it must be made of Sheffield steel. Sheffield? Give us that phone! <laughs> oh my God, he may have departed at the weekend, but John Chalice is still making us laugh. May he rest in peace. I mean, if we get an opportunity of Mark's not too busy, another few of those between now and midday would be just lovely. Anyway, lines open. A lot of people were smiling and laughing and delighted to hear John Spillane and Conal Creighton in studio on Friday, particularly when they were performing, whether it's Spillane with the guitar and his new single 
or Creedon talking from uh, the return of Pancho and Lefty. A few texts on that. Um, make sure John knows that I'm his biggest fan. No one else, just no one else, just me. And that was from our own Laura O'Mahony from the Red FM Breakfast Show. I love Conal so much. Uh, when is the book, the relaunch? Will he have a signing of Waterstones? He will. I think it's later this week, actually, and I'll get the date from you. Uh, I could listen to him telling stories all day. What an excellent piece. That was when he was reading Ratatatat in the trenches of the First World War. Beautifully worded. Yes, it was. Absolutely brilliant. I was in the trench for a bit there, says Stuart and Skibbereen. In fact, I got texts my own phone from people who were friends of mine saying, oh my God, when he was reading Grandad in the trenches of the First World War, I was right in the trench with him. Totally intrigued with the story and went away into another world listening to it. Um, what is the name of his book or books? I really want to get it. You guys have a... A lovely week, says Marie from Clon. Well, a lot of different books anyway, but the one that he was reading from was, the, well, the original one was Pancho and Lefty uh, right out. And this one, of course, is uh, Pancho and Lefty right out again, uh, which is the updated version. Love the poetry. He bursts with melody. God bless you, John Spillane as well. Yes, both of them were superstars. So thank you for all of those. Can I get back to the phone lines and plow through as much as we can between now and midday? Be aware. Be very aware. Darren, good morning. Good morning, how are you? There isn't a day goes by that we don't have something that people need to be aware of. What's the latest? Yeah, there's uh, driving licenses and categories, extra categories being sold on Facebook. Um, now, the company are advertising it as completely legitimate, but like, there's nobody can buy a driving license on Facebook and think it's legitimate. What do you mean? I mean, what can you buy? Um, I got a sponsored link through my Facebook Messenger on Saturday and basically it's telling you to WhatsApp an 089 number and that you can buy an Irish driver's license with and or you can add categories to an Irish driver's license. And here is the ad. Get your theory test, get your practical test, get your L license, full license, upgrade categories with or without exams. WhatsApp this number. Yeah, like, to be honest about it, there's a serious road safety breach there because anybody that's going to even consider buying one of those licenses obviously cannot pass a driving test. You talking as a driving instructor? Yeah, I'm talking as a driving instructor. Like, anybody that's going to even consider something like that obviously cannot pass a driving test. But hold on a second. How do we know that you just don't send money and you get nothing? Well, that's a po- that's also a possibility. Now, in the sense of, like, the only concern that I have is that you might get vulnerable people that might think it's actually legal because it's been advertised as being completely legit. But, like, the chances are, if you're going to get anything, you're just going to get a forged driver's licence. And, like, I'd be seriously concerned because upgrading categories, like, the only concerns that I would have is are we going to have bus drivers, truck drivers and other road users using these licenses? Yeah, but I wonder, has anybody actually got one? And what does it look like, the fake ones? I mean, did you did you consider maybe going for and purchasing a full license? Like, how much would it be? See, the problem that I'd face is, technically, I'd be committing an offence if I probably went for one, even as a test case. Because... Like, it's illegal to sell a forged license, but it's also illegal to buy one. Okay, but do you know of anybody that's got their hands on them and what they look like? I don't. Now, I've reported these ads on numerous times to Instagram and Facebook for selling stuff, for scams and stuff. Now, sometimes they've been taken down and other times they haven't. But 
it seems to be widespread on social media at the moment and I can't understand why anyone would even consider buying one because well you'd buy one if you could ne- if you couldn't pass your your driving test that's why you'd buy one you'd yeah. buy one if you didn't if you weren't allowed to drive um big arctics or trucks or uh, forgive me, but m- bigger mechanically propelled vehicles, and you could just get an upgrade for a couple of bob. Yeah, but can you imagine now putting a 32 ton lorry or a bus with 50 school children on board into the wrong hands? Oh, sure, like, of course. I mean, it, it shouldn't be done, but sh- there's always somebody no. that will. There is now, like, a, a number of years ago, there was a case in Cork where licenses were sold. And I do know from that case that each person that bought one of those licenses, it was about 20 years ago, there was some guy in the morning. Yeah, but they were all, that was old, that's right. Yeah, that's right. But they were old-fashioned ones. These are cards now. Everybody that bought one of those got a five-year driving ban. Is that a fact, yeah? Yeah, they all got banned from driving for five years. They were they were all criminally prosecuted. What would have, back to- okay, what would it? Okay, we won't. We won't. We, that's okay. Where, where yeah. I do recall it, but let's deal with this one now. Because yeah. have you ever seen a fake plastic? Because they're not not unlike the same size, texture, shape as a. I haven't seen. I in my day, I've seen legitimate licenses with altered data parts. In the sense of, I've had a few. Kids at 17 come to me for lessons and did alter, like, we say 2005 to make it look 2004. And they'd hand me the license and there'd be a bit of Tipex or something over it that they might be using it to get into a club. But it'd be still a legitimate license, you know. But I would be turning around and telling them, look, you technically altered a government document. That can be a serious offence, you know. Ah, should God help us. They tipex out the date and they get into a club or a pub with it, do they? They do, yeah, but they forget them to unalter us. Yeah, well, the security staff should go to Specsavers or Crowley's or some opticians if they can't see the fucking tipex number. You'd want a close look at it now, to be fair. I've seen seen a few. I've seen a few altered and to be honest about it, it wouldn't be visible to the naked eye, especially at night. So what if I tr- what if I tried to get my hands on one of these dodgy licenses? To be interesting, all right, but uh, I I'd be just concerned that you might have problems legally. If yeah, no, I wouldn't worry about that. We can, my yeah. defence would be it would be all in the line of research. How much would it cost me? Do you know the prices? I don't know the prices. No, I didn't engage with these people. I did report the ad to Facebook, but to be honest about it, they seem slow in taking it down. What about the Garda Shikana? Surely they'd have an interest in somebody selling fake licenses. But see, I've been to the guards before about it and I've reported this to the RSA and they've done everything in their power. But I'd imagine that this place is out of Ireland. Yeah. I, I, I reckon there's a jurisdiction issue there. It probably comes in but, out of somewhere else. And you want a fairly fa- fancy printer for that, wouldn't you? You would. Now, another thing is, I don't know why anyone would even consider buying one. Like, there's a pop-up driving test centre now out in the Paris Club in Talker. Have you, ever try, have you ever tried to do the practical test? I've tried it twice and I've failed it twice. In the theory or the yeah. driving? No, sorry, the theory. Yeah, I've done it. I've, I, I've had to do the advanced theory test as well to become a driving instructor. Yeah, but I'm giving but, you reasons why people might jump straight through a fake license. They shouldn't, yeah. but they also might be lazy people who don't want to go through theory, practical. Like, like, we're well set up though. Like, I've had a couple of clients that would be illiterate, that couldn't read or write. 
and they give him a set of headphones and the, the, the computer reads the questions to him. So, like, they're really... Like, I know, but in, s- in fairness to them, they're willing to do the hard work and the heavy graft, yeah. but not everybody will. They'd be happy to pay 100 yeah. bucks or 50 or whatever yeah. it is. Give me the dodgy license. And the RSA, I know, are doing everything in their power to clear the backlog. They're after opening a second test centre in Cork. They're out, there's one out in the Bears Club, known there's one in Ducline. And, like... I had a client so apply for a driving test on Friday and they're sitting there on the 6th of October, you know, so there's no way... Oh, I know that. They're, they're, as I say, that's for those who are willing to go through. Yeah. Let, let me get in touch with this uh, crowd and yeah. uh, let's see if we can get a, a price list or whatever. Interesting text for I let you go. Morning, Neil. I work in driving licences. There are so many hidden security checks on driving licences that if anyone got pulled over, the guard would know how to check. It's similar to paper money with watermarks, etc. Well, thank you for that, whoever texted me from the driving licence department. The driver licence number wouldn't be valid either, I'd imagine. Like, when you're stopped, like, even myself now when I'm uploading EDT lessons, I have to enter your driving number and your data brought into a database. Okay, but tell me, here's what I want to know, right? That's because you have to enter into a database. If, say, for instance, you were stopped at a checkpoint... Okay, I was stopped there a couple of months back, early morning, coming back up from Kerry. It's a Sunday morning, around about 10 o'clock. I'd say they were maybe thinking about, you know, late night drinkers or early morning drivers or whatever. And all she did was look at the license, the tax and the NCT and told me to go on. At what stage would she look for my driving license? Well, they'll always ask you for your driver's license when they're going to breath test you to see if you're a learner or a full license holder. Okay, okay. Now, but the problem that you're going to face is, like, we just say you get a forged license and it's, we say AAA quality, just for argument's sake. When you get stopped then for your first traffic offence and a guard wants to input you for penalty points, there's going to be no record of that. Like. Ah, thank you. That's the point at which you're nabbed, yeah. Fair play. Thanks, Darren. Gotcha. Okay, let me come back to you and let's come back on this as soon as I get some prices. You never know, maybe somebody bought one. They might share that information with me anonymously, but thank you for that, all right? I hope we won't see you know, in an Arctic next week, Neil. <laughs> I'm happy enough for what I have. Thanks a lot. Cheers. No butter. Thank you. All the best, Darren. Text 0868104106 if you can shed any light on that. Speaking of numbers, remember I was talking about trying to find the cheapest pint in Cork. There was a one above in Kerry that was selling stout at 390. I wasn't saying match 390. I was just trying to find out where would be the cheapest. Here's another few for you, lads, this morning. Keep these texts coming. Text 0868104106. You can get a pint to Bamish or Foster's in the Criterion Bar in Passage for €3.70. OMG. So a pint of Bamish in the Criterion for three seventy. That knocks 20 cent off the pint of Guinness and Kerry straight away. I love this. Stout should cost no more than a fiver. I love Guinness and I'm happy to pay max of a fiver. Since bars have reopened, I find they have increased the price of pints, which isn't fair. For example, 5.50 or 6 euro for a pint of Guinness or Stout is just pure ridiculous. It may only be 50 cent or an extra euro now, but it will probably just continue to rise in the future, says Sharon. Uh, and Annie Max on the Bandon Road is another one. Bamish, 3.85. Foster's, 3.75. You can keep your cheap pints of Guinness over in Kerry, lads, all day long. We got a lot of pubs in Cork that are beating that hands down. And there's Annie Max with the Beamish at 385. Back to the phone lines we go, one 104 106 Neil, thank you for holding. 
Good morning, how are you? Uh, a bit of bee in your bonnet, I think, have you? Well, a little, a little bit, I suppose. My son is due to go back to college today and um, he got a, a timetable last night, the night before or sometime during the day before he was due to go back and he was told that it was going to be all online learning. And up until um, this day last week or 48 hours ago, what did they think it was going to be? 50-50. No. Okay. This morning he has got another, since got another timetable now to tell him that he is going to be in on campus. But when I messaged you last night, it wasn't. It was all online up for the first semester. Like, I really don't understand why that is the case. Schools are back. Most of the students will be vaccinated or are vaccinated. Well, okay, so I don't know. I can't guarantee that. But I suppose 50% at a minimum would be vaccinated. Um, and I just really, I was fuming last night when I saw it. Uh, what, what is it now? Last night he was told that it was going to be all online. Online, And, and, then, yeah. and yeah, then what so, happened? So this morning he got a new timetable out to say he'll be on, in, on campus on a Wednesday. Um, now that's a busy day, which is fair enough, on Friday for one lecture. Okay, okay. So and a day, a day and a lecture a week. Yeah. And the rest of it online. All online. What yeah. college is that? Well, um, MTU. All right. Okay, the old CIT, MTU. Yeah. Um, yeah. And is, C, is, is is are the other MTUs around the country the same? And is UCC the same? They're, they're, they're I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. I'm kind of putting it out there. How do other parents feel? How do other students feel? Like my son, he wanted to be a quantity surveyor. And like he had to choose that option this year to go to construction or to do quantity surveying. And he made his choice specifically because... Um, he felt he was going to be in on, on in campus um, rather than being online. I mean, the kids, students have been through enough. They've done 18 months online. I know. Forgive my, forgive my naivety here. I, I just would have automatically thought that all colleges were going back, um, you know, now you and, and after freshers and stuff like that. Yeah. You and me both, like everybody else, we're all expecting their full fees. The day that he's due back in college, he's only getting his timetable. I'm sorry, what are they doing? And tell you know, me, um, you're, you're not one of the you're not one of the families where he would have paid or booked or deposited no, accommodation. No, we're not. No, we're luck. We're in a very privileged position that we live in Cork, and he doesn't have to travel. If I had to travel, I think I'd be tearing my hair out because I would have just went mental. You know, it, it's like there's no um, what's the word I'm looking for now. They they don't take into consideration what people have to do. Like some people have to pay seven eight thousand euros for accommodation on top of student fees. Yeah, I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going to scramble in a couple of minutes and get the, you know, the uh, the guideline restrictions as they're being lifted through all of the different dates. And yeah. I'll, I'll see what was, you know, we had we like had. Simon Harris was saying it was going to be for kind of like fifty that all students would be back on campus from from I well he said. From fi- September. Yeah, no? yeah. Well, we had two dates in September. There was the early September one. There was today. Yeah, yeah. He said he's back. Well, he's not in now till Wednesday. But I mean, like, why why are we getting all these revised timetables? Why aren't isn't college sitting and down doing their timetables in advance? Like, what are they doing? I don't know, girl. I don't know. And maybe somebody else no. is uh, in a similar situation. But I certainly I'm check. Sure I mean, I, I was of the understanding colleges were all going back and that there would be, you know... Maybe yeah, some I kind of restrictions. You'll be more on on base on the campus if you're kind of doing apps or tutorials or um, I suppose a lot of doctors, nurses, anything that they have to kind of do testing and stuff like that. Um, maybe woodwork courses or stuff like that, engineering. And he had last year of all online as well, did he? All online. He thought he'd been online since March so of 
2020. Okay, so this, so this, this will be... May and then all last year. And it's full fees for last year and full fees for this year? Well, we had to, we got a discount for the second semester, 250. It's a small discount um, on the amount you had to pay. You should pay about 3,300 3, euro, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they're, they're in since August looking for their fees. <laughs> Where's your fees? Where's your fees? Where's your fees? Hassling, hounding people. Why did we... No, you're, you're breaking up there, but we covered a lot of ground. Maybe others can shed some light on it. I'll, I'll have a look into it. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to find out what the guidelines are saying, or, or whether the college made some kind of last-minute call or something in the recent days that it still wasn't safe. Uh, let's get some more yeah. calls on it and check back with you. Thanks, Felani. Thank very, you. Okay. Anybody else in a similar scenario? Maybe it's just some particular courses, but do help and do share. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Um. <laughs> Just quickly, for fear that I forget, uh, I, I was recommending nonstick frying pans, and I have been for some time. And somebody got in touch with me last week saying, "Where are those nonstick frying pans? And can you describe the colour of them?" And um, I said, "They're down in the co-op in Middleton. So you drive through Middleton, your left, you slip off to one of the slip roads, you go into the business park, and the co-op is there. You go in. So in he or she went over the weekend, and is texting me back again this morning to say, Neil." That red frying pan is not in the co-op in Middleton. They know nothing about the Neil Prendival frying pan. Like a langer, I was down there and the girl was roaring, laughing at me. Well, I don't know why you, I don't know why you brought me into the conversation in the first place. I mean, you should have just gone in and did what I tell you to do, is go to the, all of the, the area where they have rows and rows of frying pans and find the red one. It's the red frying pan. It's the big red one. It'll cost you around about 19, 20, 21, 22 euro. Looking for the Neil Prendival one, they will start laughing at you. But please, if anybody's listening to me in the co-op in Middleton, would you ever find that um, red frying pan for me and just text me that they're there and then I can stop going on about them. Text 0868104106. Text the Neil Prendival show now. 0868104106. Red FM. And you pick up the phone on 1850104106. Text 0868104106. There was a, a lot of interesting stories making the papers across the weekend and indeed the back end of last week and I did touch on it last week but I didn't get to give it as much time as I had wanted to at the time and it all has to do with the um, ha- the sentences that are handed down in this country when people are before the courts. Now it's very interesting the case because uh, I actually then checked with what kind of a sentence would have been handed down for something similar were it to have happened say for instance uh, in the United States of America and it would have been a completely different uh, sentence handed down. I'm referring uh, to the case of a man by the name of, and I hope I pronounce his name right, Marius Rusinskas, originally from Lithuania, uh, who was before the courts. He was already a convicted murderer in his own country, bear in mind, in Lithuania. Uh, but he was being tried here in Ireland, um, convicted murder who tried to suffocate his wife after a New Year's Eve party at their home in West Cork. And bizarrely, to many, 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 many people, he received an 18-month suspended sentence. So before Cork Circuit Criminal Court, uh, as I say, originally a Lithuanian, repeatedly struck his wife, tore clumps out of her hair from her head, pulled off one of her eyelash extensions. Um, He works at a fish factory in Cork, pleaded guilty to the charge of assault causing harm at their home in 2020 in Castletown Bear, presently living in Cork. And the guards were in court, said that uh, the 42-year-old had been drinking from lunchtime of the day to the offence. 
His wife returned home from work at five o'clock. They had friends over New Year's Eve for festivities and drank beer and Jameson whiskey. Now, after the friends left, um, a dispute arose between himself and his wife. And he claimed he, he claimed his wife didn't fully appreciate the gifts that he'd purchased for her for Christmas. And the guard said that over the next two to three hours... He assaulted his wife several times, that he assaulted his wife by kicking and punching her in the kitchen. He then followed her upstairs. She tried to hide in an upstairs bedroom in a bid to avoid further injury. Um, she was defending herself with her legs and managed to get his hands away from her face a number of times. But then he hit her head off the table and pulled her onto the bed. It was at that stage that he forced his wife's face down on the bed and pushed her into the mattress to the point where she was in danger of suffocation. In fact, he did start suffocating her and her face became red. She didn't move for a few seconds and then, then and only then, he demanded money from her. At about a quarter past five in the morning, uh, Gardie at Bantry received a distressed phone call. When they called the number back, the phone appeared to be dead. Uh, they later determined that uh, he had smashed a number of phones, laptops and a television in the house and continued to tell his wife how ungrateful she was for the presents he bought her. He said he tried to rip his wife's eyelash extensions off. He told her that if he if she gave him €2,000 the next day, he'd stay out of her life. Uh, she said when the guards arrived at the scene that Renata, his wife, was in such a distressed state, her hair was falling out in clumps. One guard said, I noticed on several occasions Renata putting her hands through her hair and clumps of hair were coming out. Um, they also noted that uh, her left eye, uh, the eyelash extensions had been pulled out and she was in an awful, awful state, the misfortune. He had a number of previous convictions from his native country, including a 15-year sentence imposed in 2000 for premeditated murder and false imprisonment charges. And when I was looking at the court reports, and you get an opportunity to look at some people who commented as well, the vast majority of comments about him and what he did to his wife, never mind the suspended sentence that he got, many, many people were wondering how can somebody who served a 15-year sentence um, for uh, including uh, premeditated murder in another country be even living in this country in the first place or allowed in here? without anybody knowing who's walking amongst us. Um, that's just the gist of the, the court case. It's a lot more detailed that, but, than that. But many people, uh, I would think any right-minded person really, would be absolutely livid over the handing down of an 18-month suspended sentence. Mary Lou Lynch, Louise Lynch, is the founder of Survivors Informing Services and Institutions, and she joins me by phone. Uh, Mary Louise, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I know that's not the first time you're hearing the court case, um, um, but I thought it was best to recap. But talk about an horrific attack that results in a suspended sentence. What's going on? Yeah, I think livid is uh, is a good word. It's certainly how I was feeling um, listening to you going through the story. Um, and I think, you know, anyone who has survived um, intimate partner violence um, and listens to the narrative um, you know, the perpetrator's narrative of what happened, um, you know, has that, 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 that knowing of just, come on, pull the other one. How is this guy getting away with this? Um, and it's obviously one of the reasons that we formed CC um, is because he gets away with it uh, over and over and over. Um, and in this case, 
you know, the, the extent of the violence couldn't be more obvious. Um, the injustice of the situation, um, you know, his character uh, can't be questioned. Um, and yet, he has walked away with, for all intents and purposes, a slap on the wrist. There, there was um, a year in custody or close enough in relation to the offence take, taken into account by the judge when he imposed the suspended sentence. Uh, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that for the record. Um, but what I couldn't understand was why the, the judge um, said that the case was very hard to understand. But, but, but surely we're not supposed to understand people who do this kind of thing, are we? We're just supposed to jail them. Well, I think understanding is one of the primary tactics used by a perpetrator to groom um, to groom a victim and indeed to groom sympathy from um, you know the public in general. And as long as we try and understand, well, then he will continue to get away with the behaviour. And I say he because this is obviously, um, you know, a very gendered issue. Women fear being killed um, and men come from a place most often. And I, I'm not, you know, negating any um, genuine, you know, male victims at all. But what I'm saying is that men come from the perspective of how dare she. And how dare she is, you know, he even said this to the guards, she didn't appreciate the presents I got her, so therefore I can destroy her and everything in the house, and that justifies you know, his 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 outburst. I mean if we weren't trying to understand him, an excuse like that would never have been made, you know, but he excused his behaviour with that and and it's been it's been furthered, you know, through the media and indeed in the in the sentence handed down that, you know, he was upset. Therefore, this is what happened. Um, uh, of course, of course, alcohol was mentioned as uh, mentioned as a factor, uh, as if that should be taken into consideration. Perhaps should it be taken into consideration in a court case like this? Under no circumstances, you but, know. But yet, it's mentioned it? in the court reports. And I've heard, in, you know, I've seen it in a couple of other articles as well where it mentioned, you know, that they had both been drinking almost as if there was, you know, somehow it was a situation that got out of control because of alcohol. The situation, you know, he didn't attack her and beat her in front of their guests. He did it when the guests had left, you know. Um, and the idea that he's not able to control his behaviour is a myth. He is able to control his behaviour. And he can pick the time and the place to do it. And if that happens... But how, is he, how is he, though, able to... If, if in 2016 he came to Ireland a year after completing 15 years jail for murder... Mm-hmm. I mean, like, surely, surely the, he, he could harm someone else, couldn't he? he? He Absolutely, he could harm someone else. Um, and, you know, he is still a threat to her. And she has been through enough. And, and uh, you know, protecting her and providing refuge to her um, should be the services, um, you know, that, that their, their, their primary objective right now. Um, because while he is at large and while he is able to contact her, she will, ne- she will not have the space to recover. She will not have the space to understand her own thoughts. Um, and to have any clarity around 
what she actually wants for herself. He is he is he is in charge. And coming with that story, you know, he will have come with, you know, his story of having been in prison for murder. Um and that will be used for sympathy. And and quite often it's it's very effective. This is what I've suffered, this is what I've been through. Um, do, do you know, because I don't know and I don't mean to muddy the water here, but would that have been known during this current court case, do you think? His his previous history. Yes. I don't think his previous history would have been able to be brought into... Okay, thank um, you for that clarification. Okay, it would have been just exclusively this case alone. Yet he was told, as part of the suspended sentence, to have no contact with the victim and to keep the peace and be of good behaviour. And off you go. Absolutely. And on to the next woman if she doesn't take him back. And and that's the danger. And we have no way of documenting. We have no way of recording who is a serious threat in our society. Um, and it's it is quite worrying. In in the UK, they have a law called Clare's Law, um, which you know is partially effective. But if someone has had a criminal conviction for violence, it is documented. And if a woman has any concerns, you know she can go, she can look that up, and she can see the history there and then in black and white. There will always be his version of what happened. Um, but if we are documenting these experiences and we are collecting the data and we're using it effectively, we can provide some sort of clarity for you know, a victim who will always be confused and torn. Um, you know, let's not forget, she will have loved him. She will love him. And, and, and that is what will bring her back. And the belief that... He really will change. Ma- and, 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 and yeah, because the, the other is just too frightening because the other thing is that no one is stopping him. He hasn't been stopped. He's walking free. And if, if he has said, I will never let you go, she will believe him. What should the sentence have been rather than an appalling suspended one? Well, it looks to me like that should be attempted murder. I, I absolutely agree with the charges that would have been brought had it been in another jurisdiction. And I think the DPP here really needs to get their act together. Um, and they need to go back to the drawing board and have a look at how they prosecute these cases. Because the laws are there that if they're used properly. Um, you know, coercive control is a pattern of ongoing behaviour, um, you know, designed to exert control and and instill fear in the victim. Um, And I'm sure this has not been a one-off incident. It's not an isolated incident. Um, He he was charged with assault causing harm. Uh, This was not an attempted murder case. It was an assault case. But I did check in the state of New York over the weekend, both with... um, uh, a New York detective and also with a New York attorney attorney, and the attorney said that if it were in uh, New York it would have been tried as attempted murder for which there is a maximum sentence of 25 years and a detective told me that if it had become, if, it, if that case which I sent him the court report have, had came before a New York court um, the sentence would be at least 15 years for attempted murder and he would probably get out after 10 years served. Yeah, and in that time, she could have changed her life. And that's the bit that is being missed here, you know, is giving victims the space to recover 
and to move on with their lives. I mean, these are gross violations of people's human rights. And if this happened on the street, there would have been a much harsher sentence. And and since the Domestic Violence Act was enacted in Ireland in 2019, intimacy is an aggravating factor now. You know, it's 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 not mitigating; it's aggravating, but it's not being prosecuted. Do you think such. then that domestic violence hasn't been taken as seriously enough, or as seriously as violence on the streets? Of course not. Okay, okay. I don't. Okay. I, I I I think there when is. When you see sentences like this, you can understand why you believe that. Uh, yeah, and and I haven't seen very many cases where um, you know a, a domestic violence order is broken you know where there is a barring order or a safety order is breached and there being hefty sentences imposed because whether or not somebody who breaks an order follows through with the level of violence that they may have threatened the victim fears that they will yeah, yeah. and the impact is nearly as great and if someone is purposely placing a victim in fear, that needs to be addressed. Okay. Um, One final question for you, because I'm out of time for now. Do you think that cases like this will make many women or more women reluctant to ever call the guards or to ever have a day in court when they hear of a sentence like that? Absolutely. And you can be assured that there are perpetrators the length and breadth of the country, you know, who can refer to that case and say, I hardly touched you. Look what happened to him. And I hardly touched you. Have you an event coming up, Mary Louise Lynch? Yes, we do. So uh, Don Hennessy, um, who is uh, a domestic violence um, counsellor and he's an expert author, um, he is delivering two days of training in the Imperial Hotel Wednesday and Thursday of this week. And one of our attendees has um, purchased a ticket to give away um, in the hopes that somebody working on the front lines with this victims of domestic violence will be able to attend and I know it's very short notice but it is in Cork Don is a Cork man and um, he really is the best there is when it comes to understanding how these guys think and how we continue to let them get away with it. Okay, Um, well let's park that there and I get further information off the air from you at that and hopefully we'll manage to sell it out on your behalf and, and Don's behalf and also give that ticket away in the meantime. So just hold on there and I'll get the further details, all right? But anybody that wants to get in touch with you, you're at Survivors Informing Services and Institutions, SISI.ie, am I right? That's correct, now. Okay, I'll come Thank back. You I'll, so much. I'll come back to your midweek event just after 10. Thanks for now, though. Appreciate it. Mary Louise Lynch, back after 10. Your thoughts are welcome, please, if you have an opinion on this. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Something's got to change if it's deemed to be a correct sentence that you would give somebody an 18-month suspended sentence um, for a, a man who tried to do a lot more than just suffocate his wife. I mean, he put her through absolute hell for like two or three hours down in Castletown Bear, kicking and punching, uh, ripping off her eyelashes, shoving her face down into the uh, the mattress and into the bed for lengthy periods of time, threatening her with menace, demanding money to go away, um, like tearing clumps of hair out of her head. I mean, it's just awful, but yet it will result in... Uh, an 18-month suspended sentence. Um, 
Is, is it any wonder that way too often people are too afraid uh, to go to court or to take a case against uh, an assailant uh, and in this case uh, a partner um, and God only knows how the people of West Cork felt with the fact that they had a Lithuanian who had done 15 years jail for murder in his own country before he ever came here in the first place um, maybe there are those that would say and I'm sure that a legal mind would probably tell you if somebody has gone to jail and served 15 years in jail for murder their debt to society is paid and it is no longer of anybody else's business or consequence. And that possibly is an interesting point of view, at least. Uh, but God only knows, like, um, you know, when you, you know, like, then, then he comes here and he, he does this then uh, to a woman. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Interestingly, here's an email for you. I was with a man for 17 years. I suffered terrible financial abuse. But when you're in it, like many things, you just don't see it. He used to give me 100 euro per week for groceries. I'll never forget it. I used to try to spend just 80, so I'd have 20 spare. I worked part-time and had to pay half the mortgage, even though he earned good money. He wouldn't pay half the ESB bill because he said I used more electricity, which at the time I actually believed. You have to be out of a relationship for a long time to see how wrong it actually is. While you're in it, you are brainwashed and depleted as a human being and a woman because they convince you that you are the problem. Thank God I'm out of it nine years now and realize I deserve so much more. Uh, thank you for that uh, email. I hope that your life is a much better one and stronger one now. As listening uh, to your talking on the air and your coverage about domestic violence, listening to your show regularly, uh, give you credit for the awareness that you make about the growing issues in our society in general for all men and women. However, one thing I feel needs to be highlighted is that all media resources are well able to highlight these problems and talk about the fact that it's happening within our society. But no one talks about the aftermath of the damage being uh, done in an abusive relationship and what it does to a person. I know this better than anyone as I was in an abusive relationship and the damage it has done to me now is irreversible. Anyone who has been in an abusive relationship knows this and can relate to this. But I find the media tend to focus on what happens in an abusive relationship and they don't focus on the market leaves once you get out of the situation. Yes, the guards do their part, the courts do their part, your family and friends support you and there's amazing services locally. When you're domestically abused, you see, your self-esteem, self-worth and identity are swept out from under you and it leaves a dark cloud hanging over you. The thing is, Neil, you don't realise it while it's being done. And when you are out, yes, there is a sense of relief, but there's also a fear as you don't know who you are anymore. And, you're, and the work you have to do on yourself through counselling is like having another job as if life itself isn't hard enough. When you're in a relationship, you're made to feel like it's all your fault and you actually do start believing it. However, you have people out there who think it's as simple as just leaving. And I noticed quite a few people were saying to you recently, people should just leave. Believe me, it is not that simple because the abuser is in your head and controlling every aspect of your life and you actually don't even have the space in your head to consider leaving. You're just a puppet and they're your puppet master. I find it interesting too when people's first reaction is, why don't you leave? Or why didn't you leave? If domestic abuse, Neil, was that straightforward, wouldn't it be great? I do think it needs to be discussed in more detail about the damage that this type of behavior does to people, especially when you meet a new partner, say for instance, after coming out of an abusive relationship. I can tell you now it is difficult and every day 
you still have to do work on yourself. And I can tell you from my experience, it definitely isn't easy. You analyze everything, looking for red flags everywhere, uh, as if you don't want to be abused again, or at least to make sure you won't. It makes it quite difficult and very unfair on the other person, especially when you can't find any red flags. I'm away from my abuse nearly three years now, and I still see a counsellor. I still have to do work on myself. I am now one of the statistics of domestic abuse. I think people are very well able to give their opinion on what within society it should be like and condemn this type of behaviour. But I don't think there, I do think there needs to be more awareness of the aftermath for us. This abusive behaviour stays with you and could potentially disable you from being your true self. Love to come on air sometime, but unfortunately, for obvious reasons, it is in my best interests not to do so. And that by email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. So I also have some more texts and emails like that, which I will come back to throughout the course of the morning. Um, but I'll come back after the break. Got some calls on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. An email in last week which uh, I wouldn't have had an answer to because I'm not briefed or I'm not actually uh, experienced in this type of thing, but a solicitor will certainly tell you what you can and can't be asked when it comes to um, an interview scenario. We sent an email into Richard Grogan's solicitor about a girl who says that she has just found that she is three months pregnant. Richard, good morning. Good morning to you, Neil. Thank you for holding. I know you don't have much time. I won't keep you long, but you got to read it, did you? Oh, I did, yes. Do you mind if I just quickly read it here? Just very quickly. Of course. Okay. Uh, Working full-time in finance. I'm also after finding out that I'm three months pregnant. My issue is a job has come in a better company, my dream job, better pay, better hours, more flexibility, and closer to my home. I have an interview with them later this week coming. However, I'm petrified about telling them that I'm pregnant. I know it's 2021, but I really feel that I won't get the job if I tell them the truth. My friends think I should go for it, and if I get it, tell them my news afterwards. I'm very slight, so I'm still not showing a baby bump yet. Uh, I'd love to know your listeners' thoughts. Has anyone ever been through it? What's the official line on this? The official line is very simple. Uh, Under no circumstance can you ask somebody whether they're pregnant, and under no circumstance are you required to tell an employer that you're pregnant when you're going for a job interview. So this girl has nothing to worry about. She goes, she does the interview, and if she gets it, that's great. And uh, once she's got the contract and she signed it, well, after that, she can tell them. Is she obliged to tell them then, having signed the contract even? No, she's not obliged. You're not obliged to actually tell the employer until four weeks before you go on maternity leave is the strict legal position. But taking into account that she will be in a new job, it's useful to at least have it out relatively quickly because there are certain protections that then apply to a woman once she tells them that she's pregnant. If she tells them that she's pregnant and suddenly they decide, oh, actually, you're not working out. Uh, you know, then in those circumstances, she's got an equality. She's protected by the equality legislation. So once a woman tells her employer that she's pregnant, then all the protections under the equality legislation kick in, as do those under the Maternity Protection Act. So well, it's, well, One would love to think that at, um, even at an interview stage that she wouldn't be precluded by being pregnant, but I'm sure that in some situations... She would be, wouldn't she, realistically? Look, the reality on it is there are, there, we've, we've had this and there's loads of these cases that go through 
Uh, I mean, we've had people been asked completely inappropriate questions. We even had one where a TD asked uh, a person, you know, what they were going to do about child might because they were a TD and they would be, might be needed to work late. You cannot ask those kind of questions. You cannot ask questions relating to uh, a person's marital status or whether they've got children or they're going to have children or they're pregnant. Those questions cannot be asked at uh, an interview. And there is always a fear that if you tell somebody, they'll turn around and they'll bump somebody else up the list. So the answer is you can, you're entitled by European law to stay stung and say nothing and you're fully protected. You do not have to, 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 to disclose I that. I think she'd be very relieved to hear that. It's a dream job. She wants to get a better pay, better off hours, more flexibility, closer to home. So say nothing. Um, you answered another question I was going to ask as well as to whether uh, interviewers even ask women, do you intend to get pregnant or get married and have children? That's a no-no. Well, I mean, welcome to a, a visit down to the Workplace Relations Commission. If anybody asks those kind of questions, it's not a nice uh, thing to go through if you end up as an employer down there because somebody asks a stupid question like that. You cannot ask any of these que- questions at all. It's just not on. And it is 2021. But unfortunately, there is still discrimination against women in workplaces. And, you know, it, it happens. And uh, by the way, from men and women, both have a, can have a, be the ones who are the discriminators in these situations. Uh, and it's just one that you would hope we would get a lot more mature about it. But in reality, very often we haven't. So our advice to anybody is always stay quiet. And then once you've got the job, you sign the contract, then you can tell them and you're fully protected under the equality legislation. And it's probably only women that ask, get asked these type of questions. I mean, I don't know if there's any equivalent type of question that a man would be asked, you know. Well, I've never actually come across a situation where somebody's come into me and said, by the way, I was asked what is my position as regards child mighty when they're a man. Yeah. I've only ever had that from women uh, who've, come, who've come to me. So, I mean, this is an issue that is most definitely, uh, you know, one gender or one sex gets asked these inappropriate questions. We're in a new era and really people need to wise up and get uh, a lot more mature about these sort of things. Uh, and the reality on it is when you have a mixed workforce of, uh, of, of women and men and you have younger women, it's, it's, the reality on it is you're taking, if when you take a woman on, that at some stage there is a potential that they're going to go out of maternity. Yeah, yeah. So that's just a... That's How a else do we populate the planet, says you? Well, yeah, well, I mean, how else do we populate Cork? I mean, Cork could be a desert if there was, if, if there was no children being born down there. So, I mean, you know, I mean, but there's rights for men as well, you know, maternity, uh, parental leave and parents leave and paternity leave. These are all things that employers now just take as a matter of course. They're going to kick in and they're part and parcel of running any business. And we really need to be a lot more mature. And I mean, I'm very sorry that this girl felt that she had to write into you. It's quite disturbing that you think that nowadays somebody would be actually that concerned that they would have to write to a radio station. Well, they like advice from other people. And Lillian responded, Amanda, Catherine, Lynette, Esther, Fiona, Julie, Andy. I'll I'll read all of those out in a few moments time. Can an interviewer ask any of us our, 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 our medical history, for instance, even our... Whether, whether we only, suffer from any illness or, you know, disabilities or things. Yeah, the only time that they can ask is in relation to whether you have anything which could impact on your ability to perform a job. So, for example, they can ask you, uh, you know, if, if, for example, you're going to be a steeplejack, they can ask you, you don't suffer from vertigo, do you? Can they ask you if you have a criminal record? Um, no, they can't go asking for a criminal record unless, again, it relates to one where you would have to, we say, get guarded vetted. 
Gotcha. So, for example, if you were going for a job in a crash, you would be saying to somebody, by the way, you have to be guarded, and is there anything there that's going to come up that's going to cause us any problems that, you know, there's no point in us offering you a job if you... Oh, well, I can understand that where there's guard vetting needed, but for anything else that didn't, they can't ask you that. No, not unless it relates specifically to the, uh, the where you would need to be guard vetted or where there was an issue. For example, if you were going to be, uh, if you're going to be driving a van or a truck, they could certainly ask you, do you have a clean driving license? You know, that could be a requirement. You can understand that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it has to be related to the to the job. If you were going for a to a, a finance organisation, for example, they would be entitled to ask if you have any criminal offence uh, convictions relating to dishonesty, which would be relevant if you were going into a financial services building or something like that. Can they bring up your social media accounts or your? behaviors on Facebook or Instagram and things like that as, as maybe some, you know, referencing your character? Uh, I can tell you, it, nowadays uh, employers will have your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter account looked at and they're probably not going to be raised that at the interview if you've been putting up stuff that they don't like the look of, they won't be calling you to the interview. Ah, yes, yeah, you would have been. Yeah, they'll have checked that out, be, they'll have checked that out beforehand. I mean, you know, if you were, if you were, Going for a for for a job of which I going into an accountant's uh, practice to as a we say as a secretary or uh, and you have been posting stuff about how all accountants are crooks. Chances are you're not going to be called that's, to the interview. That's right. I guess you're just saying yeah. Um, and how would just finally let's say somebody did ask that question? Um, do you intend to have children or are you intending to get married or whatever? How do you how do you answer that? Well, I think all you can do is actually answer it. Um, but I think. The, the issue that you, there's two things you can do. You say that's inappropriate um, or, uh, you know, that's an inappropriate question. Uh, when these questions get asked, there's a lot of times where people, you know, decide to head down to um, a solicitor in Cork City and said, I was asked this, you know, so it, these ones are, you know, raised very quickly. And, you know, employers are beginning to get the, the message. Some employers aren't, but the majority of employers know that they just can't ask these questions. But you're saying answer it because you don't want to say that's inappropriate, is it? Because if you say to the interviewer, that's an inappropriate question, you've probably cut your chances down of getting the job, have you? Well, you see, the thing about it, well, I think you can say it's inappropriate. Equally, you can turn around and, you know, it's a question that you don't have to be truthful on. That's true. That's because, true. Because it's, because it's not, you know, are you planning to have children now? You know, not, not, not in the foreseeable future. You're, there's nothing to stop you answering the question that way because it's an inappropriate question. And if you answer it and then you sign the contract and a week later you come back in after you sign it and say, by the way, I'm pregnant. And they say, well, you told us a lie at the interview. The answer is yes, but you asked me an inappropriate question. So I didn't have to tell the truth. And would that finally, I'll let you go, but would that finally go with regards to our email or if the, if the interviewer says, and whether it be male or female, are you pregnant? I think the answer is that you can perfectly entitled to say no. Even though it's not an appropriate, it is not an appropriate question. Even though so she is know, pregnant. Well, yeah, well, you don't have to answer a question. You, even though she is pregnant, you know, it, the answer on something like that is it's a question that you can't ask, and the employer can't come along and say, "By the way, she lied to me because it was an inappropriate she, question." And that it's would a, it's, a, it's not only inappropriate; it's illegal. And that so would be her defence le- at a later date. Yeah, the, oh, well, look, a solicitor for acting in a case that I would turn around and say, you can't ask a question like that. So there would be one claim in for actually asking the question, and there's a second claim in if she was dismissed 
subsequently. So they'll be hitting two equality claims on top of them. And there, seems, and there does seem to be a lot more c- cases coming before the Equality Tribunal and also the Labour Court, doesn't it? Last week we cost a coffee to pay 20 grand. Uh, do, do you find, do you have many of those coming across your desk? <laughs> no, unfortunately, one of the effects of the pandemic is that we have seen a significant number of uh, pregnant women and those on maternity losing their jobs. And these times are going and you're seeing the selection where it's the pregnant woman or the person on maternity who's been picked out completely illegal. And these claims are, we have a number of those claims going in at the present time, as does everybody who is dealing with employment law. There has been, unfortunately, uh, a bit of an exponential increase in discrimination against women during this pandemic, unfortunately. You actually covered and uh, represented the uh, sexual harassment case against Costa, didn't you? You described it as groundbreaking. Uh, well, it is because I mean it was a it was a case that it's a case that should never have run, in my view. Um, but the position in relation to it, that case was one because there was no policies and procedures in place at gotcha, all. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's the reason. The only staff handbook the particular uh, lady got was one as how to make tea and coffee. So there was the, the, the labour court has been very clear now of what an employer has to put in place and he's uh, uh, an anti-harassment policy, a grievance policy and proper social media policy. That was a, a very, very um, difficult case and I have the greatest of respect for my client who is prepared to take that case and bring it the whole way through and I admire uh, that, that particular uh, girl immensely. She was 19 years of age at the time and to take on a, a major employer uh, like that even though I was representing her uh, took a lot of guts and I have to take my hat off to her Well done Thanks for taking the call as always Richard I'll let you get on Richard Grogan Solicitor you can follow Richard Grogan Solicitor on Instagram he's got a very interesting Instagram page gives an awful lot of tips and legal advice for free Thank you Richard uh, So I hope that answers your question question being you are pregnant should you tell the interviewer no even if you're asked no Because if anything comes of it in the future, when you get that job, your defense will be, yes, but you asked me um, um, uh, an improper or um, an an unfair question. Uh, An inappropriate question is probably the right term to use. Okay, I'll give you some text response from people because we share that on uh, on social media and on Facebook over the weekend as well. That and more after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Okay, just ahead of the text, let's stay with phone calls, shall we? Fiona standing by, Noel first. Noel, good morning. Hi, Neil, how are you? I'm good. So we've heard a legal perspective on it there from Richard Grogan. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, he was very interested and glad you had him on. But I, I mean, what do I say on the Facebook last night? Just, uh, yeah, like, like, definitely she didn't have to disclose it. And like, it's just mad that like, and I, I actually, I'm allowed to say in 2021. But like, if, look, obviously. The chances are it wouldn't be asked in this day and age to yeah, begin with. And look, please God. But, but she's like, asking, should she disclose it? Yeah. And yeah, look, I mean, she absolutely doesn't have to. And up until four weeks before the child is born, if she's fit to pop, she can walk around the office and she doesn't have to say it. But like, my comment was you have to normalise the idea of women having careers and also making babies. 100% 100% you have to normalise it and try and facilitate <laughs> as best you can. 
Yeah. Even though, even though it it may cause changes in the workplace and other people's work yeah. schedules are having, yeah. isn't that why we bring people in for maternity leave? Isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So you just have to figure it out. I mean, look, probably not in a conception. There must be a dad somewhere in the scene, and I'm sure if he also had a job interview coming up, he's not going to be thinking, "Jesus, I'm going to have to take two weeks maternity leave." I wonder is that alright? Like he. The, a dad is not going to be worrying about the same thing at all. We need to normalise women having babies and still having careers. Does she maybe feel yeah. that they might think that she's a sneak a few months down the track? You know, here's an interesting text. It says, it's all very well and good for a male solicitor on to say, don't tell them. Uh, the woman is the one who'll have to deal with the after effects if she doesn't tell them. They'll forever yeah. be suspicious of her because she didn't disclose the truth, they'll always think she's a bit sneaky. It oh. is 2021, but there is the reality of the world yeah. for women, says yeah, Anna. Yeah, exactly. Like, what, like some of the messages last night were saying, morally, she should tell them. But like, is it marrying then at the same time for her to potentially not get the job or be labelled a sneak forever? No, I think if it doesn't if it doesn't come up, if she's not asked the question, she doesn't have to answer anything, exactly. and she certainly doesn't have to disclose yeah. it. Yeah. No, I mean, I I already knew that, and look, fair enough, there might be people out there who aren't sure what the rights are in terms of that, but it's just the fact that she's whether or not she has to disclose it or not, the fact that she's so worried about it, like, and that. This is a job. She says it's her dream job. And like, that's... Okay, in six months' time, she's going to have to go out and maternity leave for a couple of months. Like, it should be just common. It should just be the done thing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but she's worried that somebody will do a bit of maths in, say, in, say, five months' time or whatever, and they'll say, hey, yeah. uh, you're, you're only here in the job five months. You must have been three months pregnant when you came for the yeah. interview. I know you're now you're lying like and you actually are making it worse for women you need to you need to stick with the truth and say I know but look it's not appropriate for you to ask me there's plenty of women yeah exactly stick with it it's not an appropriate thing to ask but there is plenty of women out there who don't get their time with them regularly hang on a second there Fiona Hiya. You don't. You might necessarily agree with Noel. I <laughs> uh, no, Um, I was actually in my dream job, and I actually personally, my own way, I actually told my boss mm-hmm. I was pregnant straight away. I was actually six weeks pregnant when I told him. When you went for interview. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tell me a little bit more okay. about that conversation. How did that happen? Well, he's actually. He's, I'm a an SNA. And my line of work now, I was high risk, so I also have a health condition, so I had to tell him. Mm. And the reaction? He was not. He he said he just goes to me. He said, "Look," he said, "being pregnant or not, he said it doesn't affect your job." And what of okay? Did, and and you got that he, job? I did. I did, and I worked there for four and a half years. And I, I left it to raise my son then. So in the case of the original email, do you think that she should tell? 
What are you saying in your text here? Tell them you're saying. It it, it depends basically on the, the job that she has. If she's high risk, she should. If she's in a, like we say, like... I'm no, it's full-time like, finance. That wouldn't be high risk, would no. it? No. No. No, personally though, I think she should. Why? Because it's because she's going to have to take maternity leave in a couple of months. She's not going to be able to hide it. Yeah, but it's that's not really the point, though. It's not about hiding it. It's about it being an inappropriate question or even an inappropriate topic to bring up. Yeah, like she shouldn't have to hide it, like. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. You're just completely Fiona in terms of if it's high risk, the, yeah, anything like that. Absolutely, yeah. Just go it immediately straight away. But like, it's just the thing that she should not have to be worried about it or how you just like. No, she should be proud. Be ta- yeah, yeah. It should be taken for granted that like it, that it doesn't matter one way. Do you think Fiona it. that she should tell them because if she's qualified enough for the job they'll still hire her and not care yeah yeah okay. hopefully okay. Solid, like. okay all right <laughs> all right let me get some more texts and emails on this in 2000 and thank you both thank you fiona thank you noel text 0868104106 in 2013 i went for a job interview in healthcare and was successful i found out i was pregnant six weeks gone i had to get a fit for work medical for my gp before i received my contract and he refused to give it to me until I told the new employer that I was pregnant. With this, uh, I rang the new employer to inform them I was pregnant and they said they would ring me back. To this day, I am still waiting for them to contact me eight years on. Oh my God, that is so disappointing. It's infuriating for you, isn't it? Uh, I wonder in the age that we live in now, would you have a case against them on that um, that's discrimination. One would think that you would have. Lillian says, you will be looking for time off for antenatal, etc. appointments. Be honest with your interviewer. George says, be honest from the beginning. That will be much appreciated and shows your integrity, very valuable qualities, especially in financial services. Amanda says, you are not obligated to tell them. Go for the job, and if you get offered it, then you will probably have to do a medical, and you can address it in that process. Your pregnancy has no effect on your set skill set and your capacity to meet the tasks set in the job description. How many people have to get a medical to get a job these days? I mean, is there certain professions? Perhaps, yes, but somebody working in finance? I mean, I don't know. I haven't been to an interview. God, I don't know. So I was in my 20s, I'd say. So maybe that's part of the job process. Now you go for a medical. Uh, I'm on the fence on this. If you tell them you are, chances are you won't get the job. If you say nothing, the company wants someone because they need someone and not someone that's really going to be there in a few months' time, for, gone for maybe a year. Uh, what with holidays, time off, maternity leave, and then probably time at your own expense. And uh, in a lot of cases, sick leave. I would stay, I would stay put in the job I'm in at least for the moment. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. I don't know whether that makes it any better or any worse for her. She's mad keen for the job. It's her dream job. Lynette says, I don't think it's relevant in any way, shape or form. And I wouldn't tell them if they hire you, you can disclose it when you're comfortable to do so. And Esther says, it also depends on the probation period you get. I think it's better to be honest with them. uh, And you might not get the job rather than telling them later and they'd let you go during your probation time. God knows how you feel once you have the baby. When you'd return, maybe you'd only want to return part-time. 
Uh, I think that they would find themselves in a legal nightmare if they let her go during a probation period because she was pregnant. Uh, if they let her go during a probation period because she wasn't good at the job, that'd be one thing. But being pregnant, open the cash drawers there, guys. Fiona says, well, although not obliged, I feel it a bit deceptive of you if you don't tell them. If it is a busy job in four months time, you'll be taking maternity leave and they'll have to replace you temporarily, especially if it's a small firm. And Helen says, a friend of mine went for an interview she was visibly pregnant. She told them there was no problem. She was offered the job, but she couldn't start as she was on maternity leave. So they gave her a starting date. Her time to start is nearly up now. So under the law, it can't stop you from getting the job. There's all those and lots more besides. I'll jump in and out of these texts. So do, do keep them coming. Text 0868104106. And we'll go back to that after 11 o'clock. So keep the text coming. And if there are calls on it as well, all the better. Meanwhile, Annette, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? We're off to Farnry. In fact, I also uh, saw a bad fire out in, uh, in I think it's Ballancolig this morning. So people just need to be aware of that. There's a car on fire uh, on the road. Um, I believe it's the road near VMware. So proceed with caution. I hope there's nobody injured. So from one type of traffic to another. What's the story with the, is it a primary school in, in Farnry, Annette? Well, it's there's a primary school and a secondary school and a boys' school. And they're all back have. now and there's hundreds of them going to and fro. Oh, hundreds of kids go up and down the hill and there's no traffic lights. We have Nanny Lollipop Lady and they put up a speed sign. But as of this morning, that's also broke. The speed sign is broken? Yeah, to slow down, you know, 40 uh, kilometres an hour, that's broken now as well. Okay, morning. so how do kids cross the street for Skull Arisha, Arisha Christ? Uh, we cross them ourselves. No traffic lights? No traffic lights. And then there's no traffic lights at the corner of Farmfords Avenue. So when the kids get to that junction, they can't cross either. Used there be it traffic lights there? There is traffic lights there. There's always traffic lights in the corner of Farmfords Avenue. What's wrong with them? They're broke. They're broke for uh, six weeks. Is there, any, is there any zebra crossing outside the school? Oh, no, there's no zebra crossing. Wouldn't you think there should be a zebra crossing outside every school? I think they wouldn't stop brother, which if there was a zebra crossing, they would already suffered the lollipop lady when she's jump, jumping out. Tell me more about that. Why? Who? Wh- you say they just drive through her? They just keep going. Even ourselves, we're trying to get off the footpath to cross the children in the road. They keep going, the cars. They won't stop. Adults in cars don't stop for the lollipop lady. Well, when the lollipop woman will come out and she'll make them stop, or a man, there was a man before the summer holidays, excuse me, and then they get the cars to stop and the kids will cross the road, but they're not allowed to cross the adults' the road, only children. No, but I'm worried about the ones that refuse to stop. Oh, I know, they'll keep going there, you won't get any satisfaction. They'd keep going if they saw a child crossing the road? Well, I'd say child and their own, oh, they probably would stop for to leave the children cross. But um, they just keep going. People are busy in the mornings to get to the school. So they just keep going. Have you, And you have no lollipop person, no? No. Used to be lollipop ladies. But as you say, as you say actually, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a lollipop man. But there are lollipop men, are there? There is. There is. There's a lovely lollipop man as well. Well, fair play. Um, no, um, no, there's no replacement available at the minute. Lollipop. We got a, yeah, we got a text message from the school Friday. There was no replacement lollipop person. They give you the sign and off you go. Or you? 
Could you take it amongst yourself to do it in shifts? I give the car a couple of slaps to stop me. <laughs> so you want at the very least the traffic lights fixed. It'd be better to get the speed sign slowed down, but get the lollipop man back in business, is it? Get the lollipop uh, person available anyway, definitely first and foremost, and then um, those traffic lights will have to be fixed. And where is and he? Also- Do you know? Is he unwell or somewhere else? No, no, no. Our lollipop lady's out sick at the minute. And um, the replacements, that I presume, aren't available from the council. Be a councillor on board on that? It's the council that uh, applies the lollipop people. Yeah, but have you a local councillor doing anything on it for oh, you? Oh, I was in with the local councillor, unfortunately. He emailed the city hall and traffic lights are still broke. Who, a councillor? Uh, will I name the councillor? Whoever like, you went to see, yeah, who was it? I went to, um, oh, what's his name? Kenneth Collins. Okay, good councillor, an active councillor. Yes. Got an, got the traffic lights are broke outside his house also, Neil's the last couple of weeks, so the kids cross there also. Yeah, you don't want this thing happening and they're just back to school, you know. if that no. You're talking about situations that have arisen way before school went back at all. Mm. Lights out over the summer and everything. All right, well, now that I'm aware of it, let's get something done about it to make it better, all right? Neil, thanks very much. Not at all. Take care of yourself thanks for, for now. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks, Neil. Actually, just, uh, just um, before I, I move on to other topics of conversation, I may be able to tie one in with other because another local councillor is, uh, councillor is Councillor Ken O'Flynn. Not quite sure what he might look in a, a lollipop person's uniform or jacket. I think he'd look quite good in one, actually. Ken? <laughs> good morning, Neil. How are you? You fancy doing, uh, a, yeah, bit of, you fancy doing a bit of school gate duties? I've done it before. I've done it before. I um, I, I helped out with a parent council out in out in Blarney before, and I had to do some duty out there with the with the yellow jacket. So I, I've been strange at all. But, Would you um, ever get that sorted out or knock heads with yourself the, and Kenneth Collins? Yeah, I, I've been on to um, uh, David Joyce, director of services, this morning regarding both sets of traffic lights and the lollipop situation. The lollipop situation actually was just brought to my attention this morning. Um, I believe there's a problem with some motherboards and it should be, the lighting should be sorted in the next couple of days. Yeah, but apparently people don't take much notice of that speed sign, so I wouldn't be putting much faith in that. There's there's an awful lot to be said for the power of the lollipop man or the lady. Yeah, Um, that's what you want. And that's that's very important. That's very important. And I'm delighted to see that we have done some improvement work now as well in Wellington Road, uh, servicing the three schools that are there, you know, um, with crossings and, and making those provisions safe as well for, for children's crossing. That's vital that we have to, and we have to do exactly the same in Barnaby. It's vital that that needs to be okay, done. Okay, two different. And look, I will be, I will be addressing it. Um, I, I emailed David, um, David Joyce about the lollipop situation this morning and, I, I, and I'm on top of the uh, traffic lights and just waiting for a, a day to win there. We don't want that. an accident there. We don't want a child or a parent uh, hit by a car yes. or whatever could happen, as you well know. Not when it can be avoided like that, you know. Okay, all right. Uh, just to, the, the main reason I want to talk to you this morning, uh, actually the echo this morning, and I know we had the Joint Policing Committee meeting last week uh, where the Chief Super uh, McPolan was saying how many aspects of crime in Cork is up and including crime including assault, including drug use and drug seizures. So it's getting worse uh, rather than better. And then, of course, at the weekend, we had this video footage that was shared by people of a chap being dragged from a wheelchair. Uh, You saw that? I saw that. And wrestled onto the ground. That was what, Patrick Street? That was outside Merchant's Key and Patrick Street, outside uh, Mark and Spencer's. Yeah, look, I saw it, I witnessed it. I've seen the attacks on Marianne's Bridge as well that we're doing. The the Marianne's Bridge then is another one entirely. What what do you know about that? Well, look, I I believe that the people that are involved in that are, are... 
well known to the Gardaí and well known to the uh, various services throughout the city and they're dealing with their uh, particular problems. Um, but look, I, I suppose, and equally as well, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the characters in the video outside Merchant's Key, uh, Neil, and you know there are un- underlying issues uh, there as well. Uh, there's difficulties there, and I don't want to go into that because you know people are identified easy enough, but they are very well known to various services throughout the city as well as the Guardian. Yes, but the Miriam's Bridge incident shows fellas squaring up to each other. I was following yeah. this in Corkbeo, punching each other. Others then were shouting him to start. One of them runs over to a buggy, pulls something out. Now, nobody's clear as to what he pulled out. Some are suggesting it was an umbrella. Others said it could have been a machete with the scabbard still on. And then yeah. one chases the other down towards Merchant's Key. Correct, correct. Look, the, the reality is, is that we have a situation in the city where we do have an awful lot of alcohol abuse uh, in the city centre. Um, people that are, like, traditionally, that we would refer to as donor notes. I don't know if that's a fashionable word anymore, but, but that's what, you know, we used to call them back in the day. Uh, people with, with drug problems. We have a situation where we have gangs that are preying on these individuals, keeping their social welfare money, keeping their social welfare cards, sending them in to collect their dole or collect their uh, disability payments or whatever, handing them out drugs or alcohol. Uh, an awful lot of it would be made out of, out of stills, vodka stills that would be, you know, 50, 60% rather than the traditional 30% that you buy. Uh, more than that, sometimes 80 and more 90%. Than that, more than, indeed, more than that. Um, that's what you're dealing with, the, these criminal gangs preying on these type of people. You will have the situation where you have, where you have an awful lot more homeless people are, are, are visible to us on the streets because of COVID, because we've all been in. Uh, so look, there are difficulties there. There, there, there's, 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 there's an approach that needs to be brought to this. A, there's more boots on the ground, definitely needed. You're referring to Gardaí on the beat, is it? On the beat, on the beat. And look, you know, Neil, I've often said it to you privately or I've said it to you publicly at the radio station. When I went to London back in 2000, um, parts of the West End and parts, parts of the, parts of London were no-go areas. And what, what was found to be fruitful and bring back security and bring back peace of mind to people was having policemen on the street, having CCTV, putting in mobile units and uh, a police presence on the ground where people felt safe to go out. At the moment, we have a situation in the city centre and I see it from the comments that are uh, on your page, yeah. on my page, uh, on various social media, how people feel that the city centre is now a no-go They area. wouldn't go near the place. And who in their right mind, incidentally, would either walk over or sit on Mary Elm's Bridge? And it's only a couple of years old. And such a, such a beautiful bridge and a lovely place to have a sandwich on and have a cup of coffee on because you have the seating area there. But you're quite right. There's a situation now where we, ha- we have to address these issues. And there, there has to be a two-prong approach to it. You have to help them with the counselling that's available to them, with, this, with what, what can you do for them to help them along and to get them off this or to facilitate them. Uh, and what do you do to stop the antisocial behaviour? And I think an awful lot of this is the criminal gangs that are behind it. You know, the people that are, as, as I said to you, that are providing the hooch to them and are providing drugs to them. And, and you know, I witnessed it myself early on a Saturday, a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock outside what was the Debenhams entrance uh, of a drug deal going down. Blatantly obvious, you know. Um, and that's the way the city centre has, has, has but gone. But if, if that's then also tied into the tripling in the amount of knives seized in Cork in a, in a four-year period. It's tripled. <laughs> 
Yeah, and look, look, the statistics that were given out at the uh, CPG meeting uh, from the county, and there's another one for the city today at two o'clock, uh, are, are very worrying. Uh, and, you know, really, Neil, like, when we look at the Gardaí services, um, you know, I'm continuously getting telephone calls from people who are saying to me, such and such happened in the estate, such and such has happened. And I said, did you contact the guards? And they said, what's the point? When we ring, they don't arrive. I can't get through on the telephone to Mayfield. And, you know, I speak to an awful lot of uh, on-the-beat guards and, and, you know, the, the lads in the blue uniforms on a regular basis. And they tell me how flat out they are, that they don't have enough people available to them to answer the phone in Mayfield, how they don't have enough uh, people on the ground to service the community, yeah. how, they're, how they're stuck trying to community police and trying to get trying to get resources in all the time. And they're continuously playing catch-up. And as we know, like crim- criminality and crime has changed so much and guards are moved into different divisions. Like there's a huge amount of fraud going on, whether it's you or I getting a text from a company saying there's a delivery for me or somebody ringing me on the phone saying, you know, you haven't paid your tax or, you know, there's a bill outstanding here uh, and give me your... That's occupying more guard of time. Occupying more guard of time and more guard investigation. And it's taking taking away. That's all very well, but what has now happened, what has now happened in the year that we're living in now is the cases like the ones over the weekend or last week or the week before have become the new norm. It is just acceptable patterns. It's become, it's become, it's become autumn too much familiar in the city, you know? Like, I think a couple of years ago, if we'd seen a scene like that, everybody would be up in arms and everyone would be upset about it. And now we're hearing, and now we're seeing comments on, on social media of, that's, that's, that's Cork. That's the way Cork is. That's the way the city centre is. And it's very worrying for the, for, the, for the people that are trading inside the city centre that we get a reputation like that. So it's what I'm saying to you today, Neil, is it's vital that we have enough resources to get our boots on the ground, to have the guard presence, and to have all the other services there available for people with, with problems. But Neil, equally, it isn't, people, it isn't just people with, with alcohol or drug problems are causing the problems in the city centre. We have situations where we have students behaving appallingly, as we, as we, as you had, uh, as you had yeah, people talking about it on and your that, show. That has also become normalised. And we've also, and we've also have a situation, and I see it very regular. You walk into Paul Street, and you have 13, 14, 15 year olds all out in the street, uh, up to ten, twelve o'clock, maybe even longer at night, uh, sometimes in the city centre, and there's no parent to be found. And parents have to take responsibility as well for leaving your 12, 13-year-old into the city. We have a situation where kids are organising on Facebook and various other mediums or, or Snapchat or, or whatever else is out there at the moment. There's probably 10 new apps now that yeah. we don't know about that are out there at the moment that are organising battles in Bishop Lucy Park and fights. Uh, organizing, you know, that's what's happening. And, you know, guards trying to stay on top of that is very difficult. But I think the key is the same as well. We're not on top of it, though, you see. And that's oh, why not, it's just getting worse. We're, we're, we're continuously playing catch And, you know, it's changing all the time because of modern technology. But we're continuously playing catch And what we have to do now is, is to ensure that once, you know, for, uh, we have to leave people know that Cork is safe. That we have to get rid of the reputation that it's a no-go city centre. No, but I'm, I'm more interested and in finding out what we're going to do with those that keep it, are making it unsafe. Well, Neil, you have to come down on, on top of them like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the only answer to it. It's a zero-tolerance policy to those that are causing problems in the city centre. And I think the policy that has been introduced by, by the superintendent here is the wrong one. Uh, and we saw that all through COVID, 
where it was discouraging people and asking them to move on. And then five minutes later, they were all back in again. We saw that problem in Bell's Fields. We saw it in in, in, in Fitzgerald's Park. We saw, we saw it in Kennedy Key. That doesn't work. You have to leave people know that the, if you were going to be yeah, but that wasn't vi- there wasn't a, manner, there wasn't assault there that wasn't violent criminal activity Anderson's well, key or Horgan's key but that's that's but there, there you go and it's in itself you have to tell people that if there's a law there you will be prosecuted for it they won't be moving you on they won't be adult cautions they won't be saying go on now you're grand. yeah but it I'd be like a demon if my if if I had a twenty five twenty four year old son and he was having a pint socially distancing with somebody on the key in the middle of, um, you know, reasonably COVID-lifted restrictions, and he's harassed by the cops, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be impressed with that. I said, well, were well, you doing anything he, wrong? And he said, no. I said, well, like, well you, you are if you're breaking the law. If there's a law there that you're breaking, you should be punished for breaking that law. And that's drinking on the street. That's drinking on the street. And actually, we're tightening up. We're tightening up our own um, bylaws with Sister Gardy actually on that. But uh, Neil, I, I, it's drinking on the streets. It's drug. It's taking drugs on the streets. It's it's uh, being abusive to people on the streets. It's causing an, a menace to society on the streets. And we have to get tough with that. And we have to get strict with so that. We don't even get because, tough on politicians when they step out of line with the guidelines and restrictions. So you can see teenagers and twenty something saying, "Well, look, well the politicians I don't do I it." I understand where you're coming from on that. And yes, there was a lot of people that were very disappointed. That I'm very disappointed with people that I would have regarded. Had it held Do you see what I mean? They see that and they think, oh, you know? for God's sake. I'm and, look, and I accept that. But what I'm saying to you now, Neil, is that if we're going to address the antisocial behaviour in Cork City, we have to be tough on everybody. Okay. okay. And we have to be tough on those that are causing the problem. Thanks, Ken. As always, Got pick it. it up after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Another couple of uh, Boise clips have come in. I'm just waiting on cues for them so I have an idea what they're about. And then, oh yeah, I've got them here. Fantastic. Of course, uh, um, Boise died at the weekend and I'm playing little clips of it for you too already this morning. Here's another one or two. I'll do one now, maybe one before we finish. This is Dell and Rodney, all right? Uh, from Fools and Horses, obviously. Dell and Rodney have agreed to dog sit for Boise and Marlene when they go on holidays. Um, and if you remember the episode, you remember it's a huge dog. They weren't expecting the dog to be a huge Great Dane. Oh, we're just off for a couple of weeks to the Seychelles. Never been to the Seychelles, have you? Don't know, have we ever been at the Seychelles, Rudden? Oh, I'd have to check the passport on that. <laughs> now, you are quite sure you will be able to look after this dog? Of course I will. Yeah, oh yeah. Dill's had lots of experience. Yeah. <laughs> right, remember, this is not just a dog. This is Marlene's baby. Sometimes I wish I'd never bought it. Oh, they told me it was a great Dane. Oh, didn't I? I must have slipped my mind. I thought it was a Pepe. Gordon <laughs> Bennett. Dude, this is your Uncle Dell and Rodney. <laughs> He's lovely, ain't he? 
terrific. Marlene, come along, for God's sake. We do have a flight to catch. Come on, kiss him goodbye. Yeah, bye, Del. See you soon. For <laughs> God's sake, the dog, Marlene. Yes, bye. <laughs> John Chalice, who died at the weekend at the age of 78. We have another one of those clips between now and midday. Is there any better comedy in the world than Only Fools and Horses? I mean, you might say, um, for instance, it could be Faulty Towers, but they didn't make a whole lot of Faulty Towers, did they? Where They made year after year after year of Fools and Horses. And, of course, then all of the Christmas specials. And there was never a bad episode. Never, ever, ever was there a kind of a lull or a bad or a dodgy episode amongst them. The characters were that, that strong. Anyway, lines open, one 850 You can text 868 A lot of texts on this, but calls also. So uh, do uh, talk to Lisa, then some texts if you don't mind and what have you. Lisa, good morning. Good morning. You How actually, are you? Good, thank you. You actually went for an interview while pregnant. Would you mind sharing thank it you. with us? How was that? How did it um, go for you? So it was back in 2010. Um, I went for an interview for a job. And they asked me to come for a trial day. So I went in for a trial day the following week. And I had never mentioned it in the interview that I was pregnant, but I wasn't asked either. Right. Um, and the following week I went for the trial day. And at the end of the day, he was like, oh, you did very well and whatever. And I just happened to mention it, that I was actually pregnant. And he just was like, all right, she didn't kind of make much of it. And two days later, I got a phone call then just to say you actually didn't get the job. Um, no, he didn't say it was because I was pregnant or anything, but um, I kind of, after saying it, I kind of was like, oh, I don't think I'll get it now over saying it, but I don't know. I, but he, he, I just, you know what you said there that he said you did very well? That's yeah. all, he, he didn't say that he offered, he didn't offer you a job? No, I no. Know. Yeah, I know. No, and then I got a phone call then two days later just to say um, you didn't actually get the job at all, but thanks for coming for the interview and the, the place. Um, and you didn't ask the reason why you didn't get it or anything like that? No. No, I actually didn't. No, I just left it off. But I kind of afterwards, even when I was saying it to people, they were like, it's probably because you told them you were pregnant. And how did that make you feel as a pregnant woman? Um, I suppose I was kind of going mad in a way, like, but um, I, to be honest, I just was like, look, it's obviously not meant to be and just left it off kind of like. But if I was ever in the same situation again, I don't know if I would tell them, you know, if I was going for an interview or... Yeah, but it must. It, it's maddening, though. It's maddening yeah. for you to be treated that way. Yeah. Yeah. And on the basis of what you went through, your advice to her would be, do not tell it. She's not, she doesn't have to. Yeah. She doesn't have to. No, no. You know? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. If, I, if it was me just for my experience, um, and I suppose um, he, even if it was because of that reason, he couldn't turn around and say that. Um, oh, I just, we're not getting into the job because they're pregnant. You can't say that, like, to somebody. But I kind of thought it myself, like... Did your man actually ask you? Or did you um, offer it? No, I actually just told him. Yeah, I know. You know what, the same day, I wasn't feeling well. And I just said I'd say it um, at the end of the day. Um, but I probably shouldn't have, but look, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. Well... You you believe the reason was because you told him you were pregnant and he gave it to somebody who wasn't? I think so, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting texts on this as well. Let me do them. I, actually, I think you were definitely 100% right that that's why you didn't get the job. Yeah. All right. Did you get a job subsequent to that? I did afterwards, yeah. I did, yeah. You see, there there's um, an awful... No, not lot. when I was pregnant after I had the baby. I did, but... Um, 
not when I was pregnant, like, no. Because there's an awful lot of rights now in the workplace for employees. If you're in the job um, up to a year, like even if it's one day less than a year, then you have no real rights. But the minute it goes over one year, you do have rights. But at, at interview, there's lots of things you can and can't ask. Like, it was just very interesting to hear in the, in the news there again. It's just been reiterated. An employer is not allowed to ask you if you're vaccinated. Oh, yeah, I just heard that there as well, yeah. yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, um, I suppose, yeah. Like, that's everyone's own business, you know, with vaccinations. Some people will want to get them, some won't. And everyone has their own reasons. Yeah, yeah. And the employer would want to know whether people were vaccinated because they want to keep everybody else safe in the workplace. So it's very difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, let me do some text on this, but thank you, thank Lisa. You. I'm glad it worked thank out for you. you in the end. Cheers. A friend of mine went for an interview. She was visibly pregnant. She told them and there was no problem. She was offered the job, but she couldn't start as she was on maternity leave. So they gave her a starting date. Oh, I did that already. Sorry. Under the law, they cannot stop you getting the job. Um, if you were the parent, if you were the parent that doesn't physically carry or give birth, would you tell them? If we were truly equal, it wouldn't matter. Personally, I wouldn't disclose my pregnancy. Yeah, and you know, why should you? It is of no consequence to the employer. It's not a sickness, for instance. It's not a communicable disease. Um, I firmly believe in when what's meant to be will be and what's for you will never pass you by, says Amy. So I would tell them in the interview that you're pregnant because it shows your honesty to the company rather than telling them later. And you may still get the job at the end of the, of the day. So no one should, would be refused, should be refused a job for being pregnant. Yeah, but they are. You see, that's the thing. They are. And that's why it's probably um, not a good thing for a lot of different reasons not to bring it up at interview. Honesty is always the best policy, though, says Andy. You may not get the job, but you may get the job, but at least you tried and you tried honestly and you can hold your head high in that knowledge. If you are qualified and have the experience, a good employer will not look at the fact that you will need to take maternity leave in the near future and will work with you for your happy occasion. <laughs> you hope, isn't it? You don't, you can't. You can't know that about every employer, though, can you? Uh, Rebecca says, tell them, be honest from the start. I was in this position before myself and it worked out fine. Sandra says, you don't have to disclose it, but bear in mind that many employers do not top up maternity pay until you've 12 months service with the company. So if your current employer offers full pay, it may not be the best move to another job that doesn't. Well, that's an interesting text, actually. Thank you, Sandra. Check out your maternity benefits and pay. Um, Do your interview without feeling the need to disclose it. The same way your husband or partner would go into a similar interview and not have to disclose that he just got you pregnant. You can decide to disclose it if it comes to an an offer stage. It's bottom line discriminatory for any employer to throw any bias into the mix when deciding who should get a job, especially a pregnant applicant. If hesitant, at least wait until offer stage. If at all, you are not legally obliged to. Well, you're spot on the money there, Jackie. That's exactly what the solicitor said. But one final one. Um, I'll go back to phone lines then. Here's an interesting text. Can't go on air, Neil, but I'm a retired male employer. And if a woman lied to me to get a job, I'd make every minute of her employment a misery. But I'd always make sure I'd do it by the rules give her every bad bit of work to sort out until she hands in her notice. Now, that's a worrying text if I ever saw one, because that's cruelty. And that is just 
tormenting somebody and I can't stand over that at all. Um, I really and truly can't make every single minute of employment a misery, but I'd always make sure that I do it by the books. You see, I don't even think you're listening properly. Uh, You say, if a woman lied to me to get a job, the original email was whether or not she should tell, petrified about telling. And I'm saying, don't tell. Um, There's no lies here. The, The lie would happen, say, for instance, if she was asked and said, no, that would be a lie. But then again, she would only be lying to an inappropriate question. Anyway, that, that, that's a worrying text, I have to say, because God only knows that must be happening in the workplace too with people. God only knows it must. Text 0868 Jim, good morning. How are you? Just talking before 11 o'clock of the new normal now where the city's an no-go area, knife crime is up, drug taking is up, fighting Dragging guys out of wheelchairs, stabbing, etc., and drug taking. Uh, it's just yep, become so normalized. That's every day now in the city. And if you take a walk around the city, that's happening right now. And it's been, it's been accepted. Um, like the, the, the guard, he won't pick anybody up. There's no need to bring them to the courts. Like we walk in the city, like, and I'm sick of picking needles up from door ups before we do walk. Uh, needles I up from what? Sorry, Jim, from what? Taking needles up off the ground before we do walk. They're in door ropes and stuff. You know, these are these exchange needles. <sighs> in doorways, is it? In doorways in the city. No shortage of them. Um, you can see deals going on all the time around the town. No problem. Are there particular areas or wherever you go? Um, I mean, I saw a deal going on in Barrack Street there last two weeks ago there, right in front of us while we parked the van. Two guys and they were making the cutting up their drugs and putting them into their small plastic bags and they were closing them off with their lighter. Never saw it happening before, but... And then John, John the Week had to take a load of needles out of a door up in the city. Um, my, my big problem is that we have a lot of foreign accents in the town doing it. A lot of people from Dublin down. I'm just wondering, like, is there a policy of moving the, the, the drug people from Dublin to different parts of the country? Well, are they... Are the, the accents from Dublin, are they users or dealers? Oh, the users, users in the city. Um, like anytime you see trouble around Cork, a lot of it does a does a Dublin accent in it. I know a lot of them are coming down on the trains during the day because I think they all have bus passes and train passes. I don't know how this ever happened, but they have free travel. Would it be um, that they're known to too many guards, or that they owe too much money in Dublin? Maybe. Probably a lot of that. But yeah. where are they staying by night? And I suppose a lot of them are staying in our hotels. If people know their hotels, we're putting up like you're going into a bed on Friday night, and someone was in it on Thursday night with a drug problem. That's in our top hotels in the city. You know, this has to stop as well. Yeah, but I mean, you know? it's more yeah. likely to be a B&B or a hostel, isn't it? Well, I know it's hotels. I saw someone going into a brand new hotel last week there and she was in a fair condition and she had big problems and she didn't even know where the hotel was. I told her where it was. I'm not going to name the hotel. But, um, you know, so we are putting them up in prime locations in the city and we're... Well, I, was we're, talking we're, to some, we're I was talking to somebody who was up the country during the summer and uh, whatever way, he dropped something, it rolled under the bed, got down under the bed to find it. And what did he find under the bed? Two little bags of cocaine. There you go, there you go. So, so we need to stop it at source. Everybody, everybody that's on drugs should be bought to task for it. And we need to stop, start this meal from the top, Doyle Air and Dawn, because most of those guys are on it too. We need to do the cops, we need to do the judges. It is epidemic in the country. And we have to do what they do in Australia. You get drug tested and you lose your job. And if we can get the guys in the top and the guards and the people that make the laws clean, we have some hope. I, I think the guards are drug tested, aren't they, Jim? I, I'm not sure, like, and they've never heard of any guard being caught 
if they are like that, you know. I could um, be open to correction there. Are you, I, I, are you I, suggesting that there should be random drug testing in Dáil Éireann? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Sure do not. you think that there should be random drug testing in, in all jobs? Well, I do. And I honestly feel that if, if we were going to make a decision in the country that was going to affect all our lives, everyone that's making that vote should be drug tested before they vote. Why? Because if they're off their game, they're going to make a wrong decision. Yeah, but if they're recreational drug users, they're not off their game. Have you ever taken no drugs whatsoever? Right. Why should be, no, there's no such thing as recreation. That's where it starts, and it's wrong. It's no recreational drugs, no drugs whatsoever. Get tested. And if it, yes, we do it to our athletes, we destroyed our lives if they're caught with something. Why shouldn't you do it to your That's for performance enhancement, though, or it's unfair. Well, I mean, and just wondering as Some to of them what, asleep without the drugs. What, what, why would you, where do you draw the line on that? Incidentally, um, one of the biggest issue, one of the biggest abused substances in this country is a legal one, and that's alcohol. Uh, why is that being tolerated? And I don't hear you asking for random blood tests. See when you last had a drink. Well, we, we do, sure. You can be banned off the road. From That's for driving a vehicle, though. I'm, I'm just yeah, talking... Yeah, there's other stuff. Like, I mean, you can get uh, bought up by the cops for being drunk and disorderly. You know, you get a criminal record for that. If you have drugs in the street at the moment, they just tell you go home. And or, I know something needs to be done because... It needs it, to be done. And, it, and it needs to start from the top. I mean, ask the next politician up, would he have any problem for drug testing in Dial Would Would he have any problem drug testing the, the judge? You know, who gives those sentences to people who are on drugs? Everyone should be tested. If you're making decisions that affect other people's lives, you should be drug tested. You know, we all we all know solicitors who are on it. But what's that going to do? How's that going to make Cork City a safer place to be? How's that going to make homes for children where uh, a family member is abusive or substance abusing? How's that going to change any of that? Well, the pr- we have prisons there for that sort of stuff, Neil, but we don't use them. We have Cork prisoners empty above. We have the other prison that takes 230 people or something like that, and that's it. Can't put anybody else in there, so the rest has to be ignored. So we have to sort out our prison service. Or do, I mean, a lot of these guys don't even walk. I mean, give them work to do. Why is it always the guy that gets up at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning goes to work is punished? The rest of them are home drinking or on drugs, so they do not in society. Well, do you, you're moving, what are you moving into there now? Get rid of all social welfare payments, is it? No, no, I am not. God, you need something. Listen, social welfare payments came in in the 50s for a reason. People had nothing. That's. No, you have to have a line where people don't drop below. That's very important. So how do you hurt, how do you hurt the, the slab and 20 fag merchant? I bet you he's not up at 7 o'clock. No, no, there, no, he's not, because he's just interested in the slab and the, and the 40 fags. Well, then you'll have, have to do some sort of work. If, he, if he's doing nothing but the slab and, and, and he's not causing any crime, he goes into a different bracket, but if he's causing trouble, like he has to go to work and you can't get money unless you're willing to walk. It's, you know, it's unemployment payment, you know? Okay, all right. Unless you're telling me he's sick from drink. But it, it could be a disability payment and uh, it's, well, be, it's being spent on alcohol, drink. drugs that's and fags. Look, I mean, you, you, you watch Judge Judy there and you see anyone that's in a wheelchair, they walk. Some people think that disability in this country is a reason not to walk. Other people strive with it. Not you know? everybody, I mean, yeah, not everybody can, but you're saying that there are those that yeah, could, is it? There's a beautiful lady, there's a beautiful lady down below that, that lady that has no arms or legs or something. She's made a fantastic life for us that with a disability. Didn't stop her. It's all about your frame of mind. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and, and, and if people think that I have a disability, and the first thing they say, would you say my disability is quick? And then they live off that? You're referring, of course, to the inspirational Joanna Reardon, of course. Yeah, 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 she's fabulous. But, yeah. like, get off, get off your bloody, you know, and, and you'll take it off your feet. But, you know, get off, you know, and, and do something positive for yourself. Don't get, be negative about it. Be positive. I don't know what we're going to do anyway because up until now it's been an awful lot of lip service and all I see is that it's just getting gradually and not so gradually anymore worse and worse and worse. The city is very dangerous. I mean, there was a bus driver two weeks ago coming down to one of the streets or one of the city routes and he was threatened with a needle on the bus. I spoke to that man on Saturday night just before he was nearly assaulted. Was there a physical needle in front of him? Yeah, and, I, and he was putting up more abuse on Saturday night or Friday night because I was on the bus when it happened. So that's, and that was more drink and carry on and another girl with a Dublin accent. Do you know? So it is all over the place. And that was 11 o'clock at night. I don't know, man. I don't have, know. And unless we tidy it up and unless the likes of Ken O'Flynn there decide to grab this and end up in the dial and change their eyes, this won't get better. All right. Okay. I'll a bunch of politicians we sent up to Dublin. They might as well be out on holidays. Cock is, is, is negative to them. They've done nothing positive for us. Is it about not enough Gardaí or like would there be even if there was more would they be just running around like chasing flies? Well look the, the Gardaí can only do so much Neil you, you have to have the laws you have to have the prisons you have to have the punishment set you have to and that's across the board you know that there was a young player lately there or the judge gave him 18 months because of his Is name you know that's a Middleton a nice lad in Middleton you know and there's other people walking on the committing huge crime it's all over the place there's nothing fair about the law Nothing. You are right. That was, yeah, I remember that case. And and then at the weekend, we have someone who beats and suffocates his partner and he gets a suspended sentence. Well, he should never get into Ireland. You know, if you if you were an Australian, you committed a crime, you'd be thrown out of it. And you wouldn't even get across the board. Well, many people were asking that question, actually. They were very sorry for the woman involved in the, in the assault. But they were wondering, how in the name of God was he allowed into the country with a criminal conviction for murder? But that's all the good doers. You can't say anything against them. If you, if you made this, if you said that about him 12 months ago, there'd be someone would destroy him in front of him. He'd be called a racist or something. Maybe some would say, if you serve 15 years in jail for murder, your debt to society is paid. Well, there'll be somebody saying, Charles, you know, that he's after getting a suspended sentence and I hope he doesn't murder anybody else. Yeah, well, one wonders, one, one wonders what could well be next. The judge should be removed. Well, there could, be, a, there could be an appeal. The DPP might appeal, appeal it deemed lenient, you know? Yeah, I mean, the judge is at fault here. He gave the wrong sentence. Is he incapable of doing it or is there something wrong with him? No, no, uh, that was the sentence oh. that was handed down. Neither you and I were in court, but the people are very, very angry about it. All right. Okay. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you taking the call. As always, I'll let you get back to it. Picking up a lot of needles and construction every day in the city. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. You want me to do that now? Um, I said this before and I'll say it again. If someone who is not Irish by birth, like this Lithuanian man, commits an horrific crime like this, they should be taken to the airport directly and deported immediately. I cannot quite fathom that he got a suspended sentence. This is horrific. Women are right to be living in fear. Walk in the streets, says Bill in Balancholic. Uh, deport him immediately back to his country of birth. 
Shona says, sentencing here seriously needs to be revised. It's not fit for purpose. Uh, he now knows he has a free pass to do whatever he likes. Good old Ireland. The law here is the problem. He should get life with no chance of parole ever. Uh, another one here. People should be taking to the streets over these disgraceful judges and their sentencing. And one here, a text to 0868104106. They just don't want to lock people up because the prisons are full. That's what it is. Our system is a joke. People are doing time for getting caught robbing the bare minimum. Yet crimes like this go without jail time. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, uh, Tom wanted to pick up on something that I dealt with on the air at the back end of last week. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Um, um, it was, it yeah. was actually a text that I read out where you said it was inaccurate, is it? Well, no, it wasn't. Not alone was it inaccurate. I, I would go so far as to say it was full of lies. Okay. Um, Will I read it out? Because I'd like yeah. to recap on it just for myself, yeah. anyway, if nothing else. Um, I recently attended a dentist. On approaching the premises, I held the door open and I let a woman go ahead of me. There was no thank you. She then went on to produce a medical card while I had to pay my own hard-earned cash for the treatment. This same woman was driving a brand new Range Rover. I happen to know she's also getting a council house. These generational scroungers complain about everything whilst never doing a day's work in their life. You, Neil, never seem to call out this carry-on. Is that the one you're referring to? Yes. Okay. What's wrong with that? Well, for the start off, no. The very, the very start of the text. <clears throat> that you arrived at the dental surgery and you opened the door for this lady and left her in. Yeah? Yeah. <clears throat> that doesn't happen anymore. We're in the middle of a pandemic. <clears throat> when you arrive at a dental or a doctor's surgery now, the door is locked. It's just locked. Nobody goes in. You ring the receptionist, who will then, if it's safe, will leave the person who has an appointment in. You get buzzed in, so you're saying. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nobody walks up and opens the door. The doors are locked. That's it. They're locked. Yeah, there could have been two people outside the door at the same time, Tom, waiting to be buzzed in. Only one person can go in, Neil. And that's the person who will have an appointment. We'd say that they both arrived at quarter past twelve. Only one of them would have an appointment at quarter past twelve. And that would be the the next person to go in. That's it. Right? Now, the next blatant inaccuracy or lie was that she then produced a medical card. You don't produce a medical card in a doctor or a dental surgery, especially in a dental surgery. The same thing as in opticians. What you do is you fill in a form, either digital or paper, which is sent away to the HSE. And if they then approve it, your treatment will commence inside in the dental surgery. At no time do you ever produce a medical card. The, dent- the dentist will never, the dentist receptionist will never ever see your, your medical card. You don't take it out and flash it and say, this is my medical card for my treatment. It doesn't happen. Uh, so you're, you're telling me that in no healthcare facility, whether it's a medical card or a GP or a consultant or anything, will they ever ask you for a medical card number? If, um, I, I'm pushed to one doctor. They will never say to you, how are you paying? No. 
Well, they don't, you see, because when you go first, now, as, as regards the doctor, I'm a own doctor for the last 20 or 29 years, right? I've never been asked my medical card or my medical card. Are you asked, do they no ask your name? Okay. Pardon? Is, are you asked your name? Only when they're going to make an appointment, I'd be asked my date of birth, actually, because there's, there's two there's two trauma kinds. But how the, how do they know the how do they know who you are? Is it that they recognise you? How do they know who, how you're going to pay? They're a business, you see. That's what I'm, that's all I'm trying to find out. It's there, it's there on your file in your doctor's surgery. It's there on there. If if you're a private if you're a private patient like my son or my daughter when they're going to the doctor's surgery, they get their treatment, they come out, they put their laser card or whatever card they use open the counter to pay for the visit. That's it. If you're a medical care patient, you walk in at your appointment. And when your appointment is over, you walk back out the door. That's it. There's no producing a medical care at all. That is there. And your file already, the doctor knows that you're a medical care and, patient. And I, I, you know what? As far as mm-hmm. I know, people who have medical cards are entitled to medical cards and they have them for a reason, yeah? Well, yeah, well, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd, I'd expect so. I, I have I, at ha- at I have least I would expect age. that to be the case. Uh, yeah, yeah, correct. That's one of the reasons. Um, I have one because of my age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a bit ashamed of the fact that... No, I'm not, nor should you. Bad. But does that preclude right. somebody... But does that then preclude somebody who works their arse off as hard as they can, pays an awful lot of tax and has to pay for everything? Does that pre- does that not a- Does that disallow them from being angry or annoyed that they don't have the same benefits? I should think it does. I, I, should, I, I should think it very well does. My son-in-law works on, on average 65 hours a week, maybe 70 hours a week in his own business. My son, my son who works for the HSE, works unbelievable shifts. He never has a weekend off. He had a weekend off this weekend because of one of his son's doctors. He works every Saturday, works every Sunday. He's more Christmas gear. I never heard him griping about people with medical accounts. Mm. When he goes to the doctors, he has to pay for the, uh, for the, the, the doctor's surgery. And when he brings his children there, he has to pay for them. Okay, and the other section, okay, but, okay, the other section of it then was this medical card holder who didn't hold the door and all that kind of stuff also had a, brand, had, a, had a brand new Range Rover. That's bullshit. You know what it's like. You know what it is. Me? Because he, he knew this lady. So you want me to literally. just look at every single text to come and say, sorry, I don't believe you. Well, I, well, no, I don't want you to look at every single text, but I think that I picked up straight away when he said he held the door open. No, I was just recently at a dentist. And the, the procedure was, I drove into the car park, right? and I rang... The receptionist. I know, we covered that. No, fair enough. I know, we covered that. Yeah, you just can't rock up there. You'll be about another two minutes, which appears. So every aspect of that is a lie from opening the door to presenting a medical card to driving a brand new Range Rover to getting a council house. Yes. Okay. I would agree. I, I, I would think so. Now, if he knew this lady so intimately and he knew her so well and he had such. Obviously, anger against her. 
Will you be so courteous as to open the door as the born gentleman that, despite the fact that he doesn't like this woman and he doesn't like the way she operates, he still holds the door open? Yeah, but it, it, it costs nothing to say thank you, you know, if somebody holds the door for you. If, if the situation arose, Neil, but it couldn't have happened. It just could not have happened. Okay. Go to any doctor's surgery, go to any dental surgery today and try to push the door or pull the door open. You just can't do it. All right, my yeah. friend. Okay, thank you for that. Other people might have a response. Appreciate it as always. Tom, text 0868104106. On Michael D. refusing to go north of the border. Your current guest on the air speaking about this on Friday isn't very good on history, geography or politics. The northern part of this island is part of the UK and has been since 1801. How can Michael D. be president of part of the UK? Just because he says so doesn't make it so. (laughs) All right. Well, isn't that half the problem that it has been part of the UK, as you say, since uh, the Act of Union in 1801? President Higgins, not going to the service in Northern Ireland, I couldn't agree more with. Why would he go to a ceremony commemorating part of this country that was forced on Michael Collins by Lloyd George? Is that... uh, it, it, It was that if he didn't take it, or it was war. Uh, quote Lloyd George, he's not snubbing the Queen. Uh, would people expect the President of the UK, Ukraine to attend a ceremony commemorating the annexation by Russia of Crimea? As for the DUP whinging about Northern Ireland's protocol, they promoted and voted for Brexit, unlike the majority in Northern Ireland themselves, says Willie in Middleton. And there's a big response as well then to um, Michelle, who has been picketing outside her own home. She owns the home where the tenant is not paying rent and hasn't been for a considerable period of time. So some texts on that from my chat with Michelle on Friday. Just heard that woman regarding the house. If uh, I was her, I would put the house up for sale, get onto the ESB networks to cut off power supply. When they move in, withdraw the sale from the auctioneers. Uh, Tell that woman to change the locks. The tenant will need money to take you to court. And if the tenant can't afford to sue, there's nothing they can do. You will end up turfing them out. About time the landlord gets a hearing in this country. The tenants have all the rights. Regarding the tenancy problem, the law certainly is an ass. Landlords and owners should have the right to turf out freeloaders like that. And if it happens to be a family, that's their problem. And of course, the bleeding hearts tirade will follow. Uh, they, they probably earn too much for HAP, the cretins. I was asking as to whether there was any... No, they never even set up HAP and they never even got any kind of... Uh, Uh, social welfare assistance to pay the rent. They just decided not to bother paying any rent. Okay, uh, text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 1850-104-106. Just ahead of the break quickly. Christine, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What's the the problem with, I think, lots of different types of children's clothes? Not just shoes, but is it particularly shoes or is it some problem with stuff coming in from the UK or what? I'd say it is a problem actually coming in, but we had no, we got a dress eventually. We were told there was one dress inside in the modern, so she ran in, she got that dress. For the communion? For the communion. Since last Thursday, we're searching shops all over Cork, outside Cork, to try to get a communion shoe in a size four. Everything is out of stock. Yeah, I know. As in, you can't get white shoes? No. All she wants is just a little white shoe with, you know, a tiny little heel, you know. So we'll have to try everywhere, like even this morning now. No, we could get on 
Amazon, but so we can't guarantee whether they do arrive in time or not. When's the communion? Thank God we're even talking about communions. When is it? It's the 2nd of October. Years and years ago, people used to dye shoes white. Yeah, I said that to her, but we said she was afraid in case she kneeled down and the paint might crack. <laughs> Did, didn't people do that for communions before and confirmations and things? They, they did. I remember doing it myself. Yeah. And you stick on the diamond piece and all that carry on. But no, she's afraid in case the paint might crack if she kneeled down. And where have you been looking? Everywhere. All over. Even we, even this morning now we were on, it's called Sisters Dublin. They haven't, they're all over stock. You see, she's a size four. She's actually a big size for a child. I, we even tried um, for, you know, brides' weddings. And no one's stocking them. And what are they saying when people are looking for them? Just saying, out of stock, out of stock. Is that one of the, is that why we're hearing things like Marks and Spencer announcing to customers that they can't um, get them the, the their food, food orders? For the Christmas, yeah. yeah. I was looking at that this morning. Tried Max and Spencer's everywhere. And is that why we're hearing an awful lot of toy shops saying get your Christmas shopping done early? There'll be nothing left. There are supply chain crises. I'd say it's the supply. But that makes me laugh because they're telling people to get their Christmas shopping. Now, so where are people going to get the money to do the shopping? I know. You're so, well, that's, you know, you've got your thinking cap on there, in fairness to you. Why won't, why, because I heard that you said that ivory would do, but why wouldn't you take this no. loads of ivory shoe? What's the there's big... Lo- no, Niamh, there's loads of ivory shoes, but the dress is white, and when you put the ivory shoe up against the white dress, it looks cream. Huh? So ivory's, yeah. ivory's just off white? It is, but she has to be white. She's a foster child, and her mother is as bad. Oh, there's girls here shaking their head at me as well, so she's not alone there. They're saying no way. No, no way, you wouldn't put ivory shoes with a white together. dress. <laughs> so we are looking for size four white shoes for your granddaughter's communion, which is in how many? Second of October. Yeah, I'm just trying to do some maths on that, which Two is weeks. in fortnight. Yeah. Surely, bit of God, we get a result on that. There's got to be shops out no, there somewhere with them. Neil, we're, we're trying since the 14th of September to try to get shoes. Have you? And we still have no luck. You know what? I mean, if you can't get them pretty sharpish in a cork shop, you would get them before that on Amazon. If you have, do you have Amazon Prime, which is the one that kind of guarantees delivery within thirty six hours? Do you know anything about that? I know Amazon, but I don't have the Prime. Yeah, that's a faster server. I imagine you could. I think they'd get them too. I mean, if. The ad break, I'll see Google, I'll try and Google commu- white communion shoes on, on, how much are they? Um, like, well, she's willing to pay up to 50 euro. And he, can she borrow a pair, no? No, she's, she's after asking, uh, you know, friends of hers and there's some are saying, yeah, they have them, they'll drop them, sure she's still waiting, so... I don't know what's happening. And what if somebody called me and said, I have a pair of uh, perfectly good white communion shoes, size four. She can have them. Yes, she take them. Oh, sure. At this stage, she take anything now. Kirby's footwear were on in Balancholic. Um, they will have um, communion shoes next week. And they will keep a pair aside 
in the correct okay. size four for your granddaughter. Oh, that would be brilliant. Man. And they also will keep one the size four with a little heel for you. Will that work? Perfect. That would be brilliant. Job done. But would, they, would they be able to guarantee that they'd have them? They're saying, Ian, Kay, the gang and Kirby's footwear balancolic will have them in and keep a pair of size aside in a size four with little heel. Um, they're they're saying they will. Perfect. So that's it. We'll wait and see. And it, they, they didn't give you a G. No. <laughs> they said next. They said next week that could be Monday. It could be Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, I Friday, Saturday. I can't guarantee. I can't even. You know what? Can we guarantee at all about the future? I'll put you in touch with Kirby Shoes in the next 20 minutes and you can work it out. And if I hear anything else in the meantime, but you, but we'll make it happen. And it looks like Kirby Shoes will make it happen for all right, Christy. Perfect. That's brilliant. And I want and to thank you so much. I want a photograph of the shoes right. when you have them in your okay. little hands. All right. Perfect, Neil. Thanks a million. Thank you so much. Don't be thanking me. Thank Ian and the gang at Kirby's in Ballancolic. And again, you're talking about a local business, talking about a Cork business, talking about a Cork family business. The best kind. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 104 106. Ah, yes. M&S has announced to customers regrettably unable to offer customers in Ireland the Christmas food to order this festive season. Apparently, don't they do um, uh, orders? Like They have a fantastic brochure every year with the most gorgeous photographs of all sorts of Christmas food. And you can order whichever you like, depending on the amount of money you want to spend and then they send it to you. They're saying they can't do this because of Britain's deepening supply chain crisis. But they are saying that their shops will be stocked as best they can uh, with, uh, you know, the best of goodies for Christmas time. But nothing with regards to the food to order service this year. Uh, gaps on supermarket shelves, fast food outlets pulling milkshakes. We heard what was happening with McDonald's bottled drinks from their menus. Uh, I was talking to somebody that was in uh, an airport recently in one of the Jamie Oliver restaurants and the restaurant had no pasta. Imagine Jamie Oliver Italian restaurant without any pasta. Vending machines empty. Online grocery orders full of uh, substitutions instead. Fruit and veg rotting in the fields, they're saying. These are just some of the most visible signs, they say, of Britain's deepening supply chain crisis. And a lot of this, of course, because of Brexit and uh, them paddling their own canoe. So your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. No products, no food, no clothes, no shoes. The world we live in. Now, can I just say, this is going on. For, how long has this gone on? Back and forth. It's gone, it's gone on weeks now at this stage. Um, my head is fried from my red frying pan um, because the co-op shop in Middleton is where I was uh, talking about right because um, that's where I go for my frying pans because I find that a lot of the time when you buy frying pans the non-stick ones uh, particularly for induction these are induction frying pans they'll work on anything but they also work on induction a lot of the time you spend good money buying these pans and they're useless they just do not last um, a, a decent length of time so I found a particular frying pan, I think it's like 19, it could be, it might be 29, but I think it's 19, 99 or 21, 99 down there. And they last a long, long time and they're very hardy. I think, I think they might be prestige. So people have been going in and out looking for them and uh, 
One particular listener has been coming back saying, that red frying pan is not in the co-op in Middleton. I went in there. They know nothing about Neil Prendival's pan. Like a langer, I was down there and the girl was roaring, laughing at me. Um, that's probably, that's because you said Neil Prendival's pan. That they would look at you like as if you had two heads. In fact, they might have said to you, you mean his bedpan, is it? Is it his bedpan you're looking for? But Seamus Wheelahan always the man for a challenge, happened to be listening this morning uh, down Middleton Way. Is that right? A rub to, right to a geist? That is. I was, I, I was having an eight. And listen, <laughs> I did talk to the ladies here in the Middleton Co-op. I'm right in the centre aisle looking at the pots and pans. She said that the Neil Prendival uh, pan was on limited run because they just wanted to test the market. Um, it is a prestige uh, pan, so obviously... I sent you a photograph of it. That, you know? Hang on a second. Huh? I sent you a photograph of it. The lads at home sent me a picture of the pan. Did you get the photograph? I have, yes, and I was talking to the lady here. She said they were limited run, that uh, they're finding it difficult to get them in. And I said, look, we're looking for the Neil Prendival pan, short of the pan, and she said, do you know what? There was a woman in here on Saturday, and she was looking for beaming from ear to ear when I said the Neil Prendival pan. But, um, like, they've got a pile of pans down here. Like, Neil, what exactly were you looking to do for twenty nine ninety nine? Was it 29 or 19? Was it 29 it was? But is that, is that the small pen? No. So it's, oh, there's a fair size in this pan, pal. This is the biggest pen you'll ever get. Look at the photograph. Well, then they must have missed. Uh, they they must have missed it here because the one I have in my hand here is forty four ninety nine. Nah, I would not but spend it's not forty. Red, it's not red; it's silver. <laughs> and uh, the smaller ones for twenty nine ninety nine prestige. But um, she's saying that they're finding it difficult that they're hoping to get another run of them in soon. Um, but um, yes, they were here. But uh, I have a funny feeling they were twenty one ninety nine. The prestige well, red pen. Well, this prestige silver pen is for. I have it in my hand. It's forty four ninety nine. I wouldn't pay Maybe. it. I wouldn't pay it. I just wouldn't pay it. What? I wouldn't pay that kind oh, of money for a pen. I just, I just wouldn't pay well, it. All right. Could I get you a T-fell so for? Uh, actually, that must be free. There's no price on it. <laughs> um, there's. Uh, let me see. Prestige Eco. You can get a nice green one, mottled green one for thirty nine ninety nine. No, too dear. They don't well, last. Just, uh, they just does don't it have to be red. Is it, is it red because uh, because of the company we're working for? Is no, it? No, it's. I, it, I it's up random. The only wear. attraction to me in this pan from day one, right, is that it's huge. And I think it was €21 and I said, do you know what? I'm going to try this pan because I've been spending all sorts of big money on fancy expensive ones and they're useless. And I've stuck to this pan because there's great wear in it for small money. That's all. Jesse must be doing a lot of fries, are you? (laughs) Yeah, stir fries. I do a lot of stir fries. (laughs) Anyway, there's a walk here. Would you not go for a walk? Nice I go for a, I go for a walk. walk I go for a walk every day with Jack the dog. What are you talking about? Twenty four ninety nine. I can bring in a walk into the office tomorrow for you. Twenty four ninety nine. You don't have to. And you get the proper. You, you get the proper walk. You won't have to be buying big pens. Listen, if you're generous, generous enough to buy me the gift of a brand new walk, I ain't going to stop you, pal. But don't bring sorry, it in here or the seat looking sorry, for me to pay for. You're breaking up there. I can't hear you. <laughs> right. You're breaking. I guess. Go on, go on away and have a latte or a cappuccino or whatever it is you have. <laughs>
<laughs> Seamus Whelan this morning down at the Middleton Co-op. So it was a limited run. Sorry about that. I didn't know it was a limited run. I go down there from time to time. They were always there, but they ain't there at the moment. I'll go back down there in a few weeks and check. And if it's there, I'll let you all know about it and there'll be a stampede then. One final clip from um, Only Fools and Horses. Now, while uh, while this isn't a Boise clip as such, it's just a funny moment from the series. There's a running gag in the series was was the character of Trigger, always calling Rodney by the name Dave. You know, You know what I'm talking about. Remember Trigger and his brush? In this clip, he's chatting to Rodney, trying to find out the potential names for Dell's baby. So we'll leave you with a happy one. Trigger, see if you can find out what the name in the baby, will you? Why? Why? Because I'm not allowed to go in for my own competition, that's why. But I'll let you enter, and then we'll go halves on the winnings. Leave it to me, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave. Right, Have they thought of a name for the baby yet? Yeah, well, if it's a girl, girl wants to call it Sigourney after the actress Sigourney Weaver. And what if it's a boy? Well, if it's a boy, he wants to call it Rodney. Yeah? Who after? <laughs> after me, Trigger. Oh. What? What name have they decided on? If it's a girl, they're calling her Sigourney, after an actress. And if it's a boy, they're naming him Rodney, after Dave. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.